Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to 32 Fans. I'm Alex Chester. With me, as always, is Wheels Wienicker. Wheels, how's it rolling? Uh, it's rolling right. Um, a lot of people think that I can no longer follow sports now. Yeah. Because you made some ridiculous uh, oath mm-hmm. yeah. that, that if a 16 seed were to beat a 1 seed yeah. and it were to happen on Shabbat, you would never watch uh, Yeah, If it happened on Friday ever. where I couldn't see it, I would never watch sports. Yeah. I've, made this, I've made this proclamation many times for many years. I anticipated it happening. Uh, basically since I was a little kid, this was like on my mind, like this was something, you know, well over 20 years in the making. I, I, you know, I remember when like the, you know, this was the, the 16 beating the one was the 136th, 116 game. And in the greatest book I've written, the ESPN, uh, information, please sports almanac, the, uh, they used to have like a, you know, record of every team in the, of every seed in the NCAA tournament. So like the two seed would be like two and whatever. And the, and the and the three you know the the fifteen seed would be two and whatever, and the three seed would be like eight and whatever, and the sixteen seed was always like zero and eighty eight. Like I'm young enough to remember, it was like all right, you know, the sixteen seeds never won, but like it'll happen. And then at a certain point, it became like oh, it'll never happen because now we're we're talking about you know we're getting into like over thirty tournaments. Yeah, I mean, as Nate Silver had said, mathematically, it was it was very odd that it had to happen yet. Yes, yeah, and so by the way, it it, it'll probably happen like twice in a year at some point, like. Uh, you look back at it now, things. and it is crazy that hasn't happened. Like, Xavier stunk. Anybody in the country could have beat Xavier on a, on a given night, right? Yeah, for sure. Like, Penn was beating Kansas for a half. UConn, uh, when they won the tournament one year, or maybe that was the year they made the, the Final Four only, um, was down by 12 to Albany very late in the game. Like, insanely late in the game. And then ended up winning by 13. But, like, it, you know, it was certainly very uh, possible always. So, yeah, but by the time we're now recording, UMBC came and went. You know, mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be sort of a Florida Gulf Coast situation where, well, once they won, and now they're facing a nine seed. You know, I they agree. Can, they can make and, it and not 16. an especially good nine seed. Uh, I thought they had a chance. I did in Survivor pick um, Kansas State, so I didn't really think UMBC would win, but I, it, nobody would have been shocked. How cool would it have been if they just, like, made the Final Four or something? <laughs> um, also, like, to update people, you know, who have a financial stake, uh, our bracket suffered a couple severe hits yesterday. Uh, North Carolina, the team, and again, uh, one lucky listener will win almost $1,000 if our bracket wins our pool. Um, North Carolina, the team we picked to win the championship, lost. Cincinnati, which was one of our big bets to make the Final Four, did not make the Final Four. Um, but because we have Purdue in the finals and we're one of only six or seven people to do that, and our bracket has done so well, 
better than any of the other Purdue teams, we do still have a chance to win the, the bracket pool. We need Purdue. Yeah, but we're, we're, we're currently trailing uh, one Alexander Chester, who's in first place in that bracket right yeah, now. Yeah, but you, how far do you have Purdue? Uh, I don't know. I, I, have, I have Villanova winning. You're not in all, first think, place. Oh, you, you are. Yeah, I'm tied, tied for first. You're tied first, but you're just yeah. listed fourth. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so if Purdue makes the finals and loses, they can't win it because other people have them winning. And they lose to a team that's not Gonzaga or Kentucky. So if they lose to anyone on the left side of the bracket, like Loyola or Nevada, um, then we win the pool. So like Nevada over. <laughs> Could you imagine? Like, what would the ratings be on a Nevada-Purdue? It's 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 such a crazy left side of the bracket because right like in the South region, the Kentucky is the five seed is the overwhelming favorite to advance now at this point. A five seed, but right, it's right, but Kentucky's at least like a big time team. Gonzaga is a pretty national team at this point. Yeah, but I'm just saying it's crazy that like the most likely outcome right now is a four seed Gonzaga and a five seed Kentucky. Those aren't the odds. But how about this on the the left side of the bracket? Who who is the biggest favorite to make the finals? I would have to say it's probably Kentucky because their next two games are going to be easy. They're probably it's the favorite. Absolutely, Kentucky. Michigan yeah. has a punch, a puncher's chance, but Texas A&M looked real good last game. Uh, Gonzaga's yeah. got a great chance, but FSU is always enormous and and a tough, a tough. Out it's crazy because like Florida State has a better chance of making the final than like Purdue or Texas Tech or Villanova <laughs> even. Like yeah, the, the the right side of the bracket's almost intact, right? One two three five on one side, and and one two five eleven. But the eleven is an awesome Syrac- you know Syracuse organization if not an organized team awesome team yeah so anyway that's been march madness update but you're still if you were hoping for that thousand dollars it's still possible but you better or you i also if gonzaga makes the elite eight but then loses there and then every single upset happens i think we'd also win the pool because we're just like so close to first place like if nobody gains any more points the rest of the tournament like west virginia makes the finals except purdue except even though even if purdue loses like even if Purdue loses, we have we have a chance because we're so close to first. We just need Gonzaga to win their next game, and I think we'd be in first place in the whole pool. Yeah. So if it's like Clemson, well, no, be, West we'd... Virginia in the Final Four, and the other side is like Kansas State, Loyola, or Nevada, you have three of those teams, or Florida State or Texas A and M. Like we could win the pool, but if everything is an upset, we'll, we're still going to win. So start All spending right, so that money. March, that's our March Madness update. Now let's get to the football update. So last week I told you that I didn't understand why the Jets – and it's only a $5 million signing, so it's not the end of the world. But I thought the $5 million signing of Teddy was a waste of money, and yeah. I think that the Jets trade proves that to be even more the case. The Jets basically said mm-hmm. we have A, B, or C options at quarterback, and and in, and in hindsight it was clear they meant A was Cousins and B was pull off one of these ridiculous trades you know, like, like the Bears and other teams have done to yep. move up into the top three to get a quarterback. And the point I made last week, and I'm going to double down on that now, is – it's so stupid because the be- there's there's two outcomes with Teddy Bridgewater. Either he's injured and worthless, in which case you didn't need to spend the $5 million, or he's really good, in which case he's a free agent at the end of the year. You're not going to keep him anyways, or if you want to keep him, you're going to have to pay him a right, fortune. You have a really complicated thing because you, right, you have an expensive Teddy versus yeah. a rookie who at that point is going to lose their mind if they're not starting by I, year two. I, I understand the McCown signing, and I understand pairing that with drafting a rookie. I don't understand adding Bridgewater on a one-year contract into that. again, right. Or, or world, let Bridgewater million. be the McCown, and then you're sort of messing him over, but that's a high-class problem. But it's weird to have both of them, because yeah. like, McCown has no chance of starting, and now, okay, so now you gave $10 million to a person who very well could be your third-string quarterback, I, when but a lot I of teams do, I don't get it carry for, one. I, I don't get it for Teddy. I don't get it for the Jets. I really don't get it for Teddy. What is he doing now? Yeah, he must be unhappy, right? I mean, he just signed yesterday. Yeah, well, he's, he seems he's, happy. Yeah, what's he going to do? Get What's he going to do? Like, play five games in the best-case scenario? 
Well, I think that might get it. Like, if he plays really well, he could get a contract. It would be more of a, a Glennon y, Cousins y, con- uh, contract. Yeah, but, than, but, than but, but wouldn't Cousins-y he rather contract? go somewhere where he had an option? He to didn't play have more, options. Right? To him, it's like, all right, they don't have any good players. For all I know, they're going to draft John, Josh Allen, who, like, even Teddy, with, you know, when everyone was vomiting on the field, is still better than Josh Allen, right? <laughs> like, the, like t- so I, he, Teddy has confidence in his ability. He knows Josh McCown's not a long term. Um, Josh McCown is. What is your hunch? Who's the Jets? Who are the Jets going to draft? I think Baker Mayfield. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's what you Peter King so? said today. That's just if they like Josh Allen, I don't think any other team is dumb enough to pick him, unless the Browns pick him at one, in which case it's not your problem. Because Allen is so clearly a, a, a flop that only a stupid organization would take him. And then I don't think you would have to move up weeks early to pick Allen at six. So I think they must love Baker Mayfield. And then they know there's no way that the Browns are taking Mayfield. There's no way the Giants would let Baker Mayfield in their building. It's not he's not a Giants type of player. Uh especially and then like when we did Eli our podcast. When we did our podcast last week, AJ McCarron had not yet signed with Buffalo, and Buffalo was the one team without a starting quarterback. So yeah. now uh they they have him. So all the quarterbacks are set. You know, there's no team that needs to start a rookie in week one. There's no team that still needs a quarterback. Yeah. Right, it is interesting. All these guys, someone's coming in to face off against Tyrod. Someone's t- coming in to face off against McCarron. Someone's coming in to face off against Teddy and McCown, who, you know, McCown is McCown, but he had a really good year last year. Uh, like, there, it's going to be tough to win jobs. It does seem like the quarterback position is actually probably at a, at a, at a weird high in, the, in sort of the B-plus level. Yeah, now let's talk about, let me ask you as a Jets fan, the uh, Vikings signed Sheldon Richardson to help yeah. a replace. They're going to lose some guys at defensive tackle. Yeah. He, he was so nondescript that I didn't even realize he was on Seattle this past season. Well, the Jets, the, the reason the Jets were able to make the Colts trade is because the Seahawks stupidly gave the Jets a second-round pick that the Jets, because they're dumb, thought, like, this isn't really ours and didn't realize, like, well, it's whatever the opposite of a sunk cost is, where it's like, we have this and it doesn't matter how we acquired it, and they just gave it away basically as, like, uh, you know, like, because they're dumb. But as Sheldon Richardson, I mean, what's your opinion on people who drive 130 miles an hour with like an unbuckled nine-year-old in the backseat? <laughs> now, I, I, l- let me just say that I, the kid may have been buckled. I'm not sure. Um, but Sheldon... My bigger issue is he was like a, he was like a superstar in like yes. 2014. But yeah, yeah, he was, an, he was a legitimate, su- like unblockable player. Defensive player of the year ago. candidate. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, then had a bad year for the Jets. I think he was in a room with guys who were troublemakers. Uh, Mo Wilkerson at some point decided to start eating his entire value of his contract, $90 million, uh, in, in like burgers and burritos. Um, and I just think it was a bad room and like they develop bad habits and he's maybe not the not like the best guy. And so nobody like Sheldon Richardson was going to make $100 million, no question, after 2014. And Mo yeah. Wilkerson, who's less reliable, did make that much money. Um. And he just basically like you know messed. He, he messed even up when those guys early. perform well, like like Mario Williams in Buffalo was good, and Dom Gitsu yeah. in Miami was good. It's still never worth it. To They're pay never worth it. I do think much. the league is going yeah. back to the only people who are going to get paid are quarterbacks, and then like number one receivers, but they're never available. And but like hold on, tackles. but we need to t- we need to talk. There's been so many terrible signings of running backs and wide receivers. I mean, Jarek McKinnon. We talked this a little bit last week. He's like being paid to be a top five running back this yeah. year. That's insane. Peter King had it as one of his top three signings in the offseason. Oh, I hadn't even read Peter King's column in a while, but I knew he had inside info on the Jets. Like, even if, even if you think that he's going to be good or that you know Shannon has a way to use him, nobody else is valuing him like that. Yeah, who are you competing against? But I, I think what happened Lund, is the Lions you had gave him a bunch of money. 
you had a lot of bad teams with like a weird number of cap space, like too much cap space, which is why the Jets were willing to give someone they like $10 million <laughs> that they don't really need. Yeah. Like there's no way you have to get to the floor. So these teams are literally just throwing out money and they don't want like the league to get mad at them by just like giving out $15 million to $7 million players. So it's like that's a place you could overpay by just like it's a lo- buying luxury items like a Jarek McKinnon. Yeah, Carlos Hyde went to Cleveland. Uh, that's another stupid signing. Um, Dante, uh, Michael Crabtree, I think, went to the Ravens. Dante, um, uh, what's his name? Dante Moncrief, the Jaguars, gave him a big, bu- a big yeah, pile of money. Way too much money. Allen the the greatest thing that happened to anybody offseason is Ryan Grant failing his physical because the, the Ravens were yeah. lighting $29 million <laughs> yeah. on fire. Yeah, they and got saved. And as one. proven by the fact that even though he failed, that even if he passed 100 physicals tomorrow, nobody would give him anywhere near that. Yeah. By the way, Jordy Nelson with a massive upset does not sign with New England. Oh, you thought, thought the they didn't really was... like? I don't know. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't see that. No, it's just sort of like fit. Twitter, like like sort of like you know people just assumed. Oh, it'll be interesting. Really so you asked about Richardson. So his 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 Sons of Anarchy buddy um, uh, Wilkerson signed with your rival, the Packers. So uh, uh, Wilkerson, yeah. who's already gotten paid, and Sheldon is is obviously very upset that he hasn't really gotten paid yet. Yeah, he got a one-year, eight million dollar make good contract. Yeah, like so they case. both did, right? Richardson got, I think, seven, and 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 Wilkerson got like eight. Um, yeah, but I, Richardson needs the money more. <laughs> well, I don't think it's not about money. I, I think Wilkerson, uh, the pride, whatever. has. I think Wilkerson has a big time year. I just w- Richardson, is, uh-huh. he's a. I, you guys play a three-four, right? I, he's a no. We play four. Three. Oh, you do. Oh, so then I actually think he'll dominate. Yeah, he'll, I, I, because I, I just he he. At one point, Todd Bowles decided to make him an outside linebacker, and he's very fast for a defensive lineman, but he's two hundred ninety-five. Yeah, pounds. but not for yeah. Um, yeah so I do work. think I, I think I think putting him in the middle in a in a four-three, I actually do think he'll dominate there if he's motivated. You know, it's funny. Track. The Vikings have literally never had a three-four in their history. So much so that Is that I true? Like, I didn't don't know even that. Yeah, it's crazy. They've always had a four-three. Going back to the Purple People leaders in the '90s and 2000s, they've never had a three-four, and it's to such an extent that I only under. It's almost like how I don't really understand how double switches work because I've only yeah. been an AL, you know, Twins fan my whole life. I don't really understand how a three-four defense works because I've never been a fan of a team that had it. All right, so here's breaking news to answer the Teddy Bridgewater question. Uh, it there must be something so wrong with Teddy's knee. Do you know how much he? You know how much money Teddy got guaranteed? How much? Five hundred thousand dollars. Okay, so yeah, so he's never playing again. Yeah, no, okay, to me fine. that's to me that's it's either never playing again or he's not healthy yet, and it was just reported now. It, it, to me, this is we we need to see you in training camp before we give you any money, and but that also means that why would the Jets even guarantee? Why would the Jets? You know what I mean? Unless unless the Jets yeah. don't draft a quarterback, why would they even pay him? Well, five hundred thousand is nothing. No, no, no. I, of course the 500000 for a look at a guy who was, who was a top 10, 15 starters. Yeah. But I'm saying, wh- why would they give him the money? Why, you know, why would they pay him to be on the opening day roster? Oh, well, they're almost certainly not going yeah, to that's, at this point. Uh, so, okay, so now, now that makes sense. And the, fact that, yeah, and the fact that he's willing to take that contract means, again, you know, it must be uh, what I thought it was a year ago. swore up and down that he had multiple suitors, which is a, a, a good way to tell that he had one suitor. Or maybe, like, the Bills yeah. were offering him to be, like, the— you know, like I mean, look, training camp. When, when, when the Vikings elected last August not to exercise his option, I said that this the only thing this could possibly mean is that he was never going to play again, which is why when he yeah. came back in November, it was such a ridiculous miracle. But now it seems like he came back sort of just as like an honorary thing. Although, look, he do you know what I would do if I was Teddy? Two, I would I would say like, you know, like Kaepernick didn't get signed last uh, last year. And it's like, oh, well, because of his politics. If yeah. I was Teddy, I would be like, if you get if you 
if you, what's it called, sign me to like a guaranteed contract, I will A, sing the national anthem, and B, not only will I not kneel, I will be on stilts the whole time. Like, go like full-blooded, like, yeah. like USA all the way, and, and then I, get, I guarantee you some like Republican owner will give him a big contract. Yeah, it's just um, all right. So that, part, but that answers our question thing. because it didn't make any sense. Yeah, but it's a, but but the but the part that doesn't make sense still is so why in December was he the Vikings' official backup for like three or four weeks? Could he play or could he not play? I mean, he came in and he looked really bad for like one play. Well, I mean, he came in for one to, for one play in a blowout, like just to get the fans. Yeah, but he looked like he didn't know how to so walk, that, and he threw an interception. Yeah. All right. So that's that. Um, are we ready to uh, turn to our main topic for this week? Uh, yeah, let's let's get in. Let's get into it. I'm very excited about this. I feel like you know, we, we really have to double down like we talk about football six months a year or seven months a year and then we rank stuff and we're really going out of control ranking things. And I feel like this is our most niche and ridiculous rankings yet. Yeah, last week we discussed uh, flags, and some people were like, why are you ranking? I mean, a lot of people said it was our best episode ever, but I know some people told me they didn't even listen. They're like, why are you ranking flags during March Madness? Well, if you don't like flags, this week we are going to rank something that's even more, as you said, niche. This is going to be a conversation, I would guess, that 80% of our listeners are going to be totally lost and confused. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I, at least, at least 80%, for sure. Mm-mm. Which might be low by uh, 32 fan standards, I don't know. Right, I think even when we talk football, like ninety-five percent of them are like, "Why?" Well, yeah. I sort of understand who he's talking about, but what they're saying doesn't make any sense. Yeah. All right. Okay. So let's get into it. All right, Akiva. So this week we are ranking Jewish foods. Now you have claimed in the past that I hate food. Yeah, you're a notorious food hater. I this is the <laughs> I've done two podcasts, and I love food and I like music, and both my podcast co-hosts are food haters and uh, music non-entities. Okay, so for you to find a food hater as somebody who's not like morbidly obese, I think is the first. No, problem. no, no! Oh, stop! <laughs> nice, you're fat shaming people. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm not fat shaming. You claim. Okay, I claim that you are the one who doesn't like food because you have like the like the appetite of a child, which is gonna I think become clear as we. I don't have that appetite. I'm. I famously like quantity over quality. Yeah, but <laughs> but makes you sound like a real. I foodie. care about food. I think like if I'm going to a restaurant with my wife, like I know what I'm ordering before I get there. I like check out menus of restaurants I'll never go to in cities I'll never go to because that's someone what, who like really likes and thinks about food. That's what they do. You are indifferent towards eating, and you. I'll give you an example. I was at uh, the most boring, like the single worst part of parenting, which is going to boring assemblies and speeches at kids' schools. And then you multiply by okay. the, the number of kids you have. So last week I went, my daughter had a thing and it was portrayed as a big deal, but it was like insanely, it was insanely boring. A lot of it, like first they showed off all their artwork and the, this genealogy project they'd all done. And that was very good. But then they showed like a 45 minute video of like the girls just doing not, nothing. Like it was awful. My daughter even said afterwards, like I felt bad you were there. Um, and we, and they didn't really feed us. Like the kids made food. So I don't like eating that stuff. And then, like, we're getting home at 11, and I asked the other dads, right as we were wrapping up, like, hey, are you going to have dinner when you get home? And they all, like, laughed at me, like, no, I'm going straight to sleep. And obviously, like, I went home, and, like, the only thing I was concerned about was eating, but everyone else at 11 o'clock was not eating. So, like, I just think about food all the time. You, like, eat to live. All right. Well, anyway, let's let's get to the point here, all right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think our listeners feel during that story how you felt at the assembly. Oh, but... <laughs> I already feel gang up on. All right, so 
All right, can, we, can I introduce the guest? She's sitting yeah. here patiently. Yes. All right. So uh, our guest this week is Stephanie Butkett from Ta Tablet Magazine. She's also the co-host of Unorthodox, the tablet podcast. Uh, welcome, Stephanie, to 32 Fans. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming, Stephanie. So, of course. So you guys at Tablet uh, made this really cool feature. Uh, you called it the, the 100 Most Jewish Foods. Uh, any, if you Google uh, 100 Jewish Foods, I'm sure you can find it. We'll also include a link in the show notes. And uh, you brought together a whole variety of contributors, chefs, writers. Some real big names. Actors. Yeah, some real big names in the uh, Jewish world. And not no, 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 no. Many not. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, Tom Colicchio and... Um, yep. Uh, Eric Repair, Marcus Samuelson, yeah. Action Bronson, like a lot of a lot of like uh, Josh Molina, a lot of big big time people. And they each they each sort of gave their take on what is like a a key Jewish food, and uh, and so you have these hundred Jewish foods. So Akiva and I looked at this list and we decided to rank these hundred Jewish foods from best to worst. Uh, first of all, how do you feel about our ranking your foods? So two things. For one, we we deliberately called it. When we were deciding what to call it, it was, you know, is it, is it the 100 best Jewish foods? Is it the 100 greatest? It's not. As you'll see, based on what's on the list, it's actually the 100 most Jewish foods. So basically, what foods have the biggest impact on Jewish life and Jewish culture, sort of historically spanning history and also spanning the globe? And the other, one of the more important editorial decisions we made early on was not to rank the list. And that we were actually... The way we presented it is on a table. We did an actual photo shoot with every, with all hundred foods on one table, and just showing sort of the breadth and the scope. So it is very hilarious to me that now you want to basically pervert the entire project and rank them, yes, which I'm here for. I'm that here for that it. picture yes. also is is very interactive because you can drag and click on all the foods and read the entries. Yeah, so that that table, picture is really yeah. is really like ex internet excellence. Like that is uh, and it, the, the whole feature is really good and well done. Thank you. And it's, you know, it's a beautiful photo, but there are a lot of gross foods on that table. Like we have a, a raw chicken because if we cooked the whole, the entry is chicken, just chicken. Right. And if we cooked, if we prepared the, the chicken in any way, it would actually, it would privilege that version of chicken. And so we just did it raw. And so it's, you know, it's, it's pretty grotesque, but, and you know, we have cha, which is jelly calves legs. We have sort of delicacies from, from all over the world. We have, um, Ehrlich, which are the unhatched eggs that come out of the chicken when, when when you kill the chicken. So, like, that's on the table, too. Along with, you know, brisket, babka, all the beautiful foods that, you know, we, we have... It must have been to hard to acquire love. some of those foods. Yeah, that was a very funny process. It, it did involve me in Chinatown getting that chicken. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it was, it was fun. And we had our staff, and we had an you know, amazing food stylist. It was a great experience. But so now we're going to just, like, throw everything off the table, right? Yes, yeah. basically. Wait, but, like, but what about, like, so you have things like uh, at Carcifio or something, Carciofi, which is deep fried uh, artichokes. Yeah, I'll like, did Judea, you have you have go I'm... buy them? Did you have someone in the office make them? Like, how did you even go we about? We actually this? we worked with this amazing um, food stylist, Victoria Granoff, and she is a Sephardic Jew, and so basically she she made a bulk like the bulk of the foods, and wow. then we had staffers. You know, we had someone make the Persian rice. We had we sort of went to our our people essentially, mm -hmm. and. Um, yeah, we was also was this in your office kitchen, or you guys? Had no, this was not in our office oh, okay. kitchen. But a lot of it, so we went to Pomegranate in Brooklyn, the the big kosher uh, grocer. We found like all the all the prepared food, not the prepared food, all like the the cereals and things like that. Um, and and then my boss and I, Alana Newhouse, she took the the things that needed to be refrigerated, and I took all of the the the, the non perishables. This whole thing sounds and very so expensive, Stephanie. Look, we did, we 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 wouldn't we don't we didn't spare anything for for Jewish no, food. No, for sure. My, it, it, it my tiny off. studio apartment was filled with like pickles and 
soup model. Like I had all this stuff and I had like a separate shelf so that we wouldn't eat any of it accidentally because it was it was very confusing. We had like par of chocolate. It was it was a, a, a little bit of a madhouse, but it was an amazing, amazing project. And I'm really happy and it's been received really well, which is great. Can yeah, you can though, you take you know, us back? I don't, I don't, Sorry, uh, that we're just going to be interrupting each other the whole time because you two can see each other and I can't. That's perfectly um, fine. That's uh, what we do on our podcast, Unorthodox. Can, can all the you? Time. Oh, you guys don't record in person. No, we do. We still interrupt. Oh, each okay, other. fine. Even better. It's a Jewish <laughs> podcast. What else would we do? Can, um, can you sort of take us back? Like, was this your idea? Because if we did something like this, it would have stemmed from an argument where Chester made some inane comment like that food X is the best Jewish food. And I said that I would say that's not even top 500. And then we would rank them and, and fight about it. But how did this start for you guys? So so Tablet has done 100, 100 like lists of 100, 100 best lists in the past. We did 100 greatest Jewish books, 100 greatest Jewish songs. I mean, they all have sort of specific titles. We've done the 100 Jewish movies. And they're all very controversial. Like people get really mad about them. And it's hilarious. And it's like, well, you know, we know what we're doing. We're making a list of Jewish things. Like, we are going to aggravate people. But um, the one thing that's sort of the most controversial and the one we hadn't taken on was food. And so Gabriella Gershenson, who's an amazing food writer and editor, came to us and sort of said, I want to I wanna do this. And so we did it. And we basically came up with a list. We, had, we, had, we sat together as a staff. And everyone just started throwing out foods, right? Like, this thing that I ate growing up and like soup, you know, Celadoro cookies, like all these sort of things that were from people's memories and also, you know, their cultural, their sort of uh, geographic awareness um, of different places. And so basically we had a list of like 150 things and then we had to winnow it down to a hundred, which got really nasty. Like it was, it was pretty, it was tense. Tell us some of the foods that just got cut. Some of the foods that aren't on the list, like for example, latkes. Potato latkes are not on this list. And instead of that, we have labda, which is a Georgian dish that is the Georgian potato pancake. And for us, that's such a meaningful distinction to make to basically say, let's actually, instead of doing the potato pancake, which everyone know, everyone thinks is a Jewish food, let's let's highlight sort of a different version and that, you know, there's a, a, a dwindling Georgian Jewish community. So why don't we actually just like spotlight them? Right. So your argument, and, your you know, argument, like, sorry, because Latka is obviously, if someone really looks at this list and analyze it like Chester and I did, Latka is maybe the most glaring omission. But your I, your argument, and don't tell me if I'm not, you know, putting words in your mouth, is basically um, we didn't forget about it. We just put a little bit of a spin on it by including the Georgian version of this food. Exactly. Okay. And, you know, the idea is if you actually read, I mean, look, we're, this is like, we're, we're in the internet era. We're an internet magazine. I think a lot of people who are like, didn't actually read the list. Like you have to sort of go through it. And, and the, the whole thing as the piecemeal, the, the entries are amazing, but together there's this sort of this rich fabric that's woven of, of the, of the Jewish experience. And so, you know, we don't have knishes on there. We, we have one entry for Delhi and we had David Sachs who basically wrote the book on Delhi to say, we, had, we made him say, what is the most like, iconic Jewish deli? And his entry is basically, I hate when people ask me this question, but you've asked me this question and I will answer it. And it was between corned beef and pastrami and pastrami ultimately wins out. And so there's a way in which we really had to be, we had to articulate, we were pushing a narrative here, right? Like we were mm-hmm. saying that these are the def- 100 definitive foods. Of, of course, every, you know, the, the idea is then for people to argue about it, right? And to say, I can't believe you left this off. The thing that actually make, made people the most angry is bacon. Yeah. Bacon no is on this list. And people were like, how could you put bacon on a list of 100 Jewish foods? And we were like, how could we not? It doesn't, not including bacon on this list does not mean that no Jews eat bacon. And including it on this list shows that bacon has this 
crazy place in the, in the Jewish consciousness as the ultimate thing you cannot eat. And so even if you don't eat bacon, you definitely think about bacon on some level as sort of like the, uh, the writer of the entry wrote, it's like the Voldemort to Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. It's so much def- it's so much defines what we do eat because it's the thing we don't eat or are not supposed to eat. What can I say that Chester and I, I think we both have bacon in our rankings at 100, right? I don't know all of your rankings, yeah. but I noticed that. We're both dead last on bacon, which isn't to say that we, like, I totally get what you say, but, you know, in terms of what's the most Jewish food, like, it would be hard to argue that bacon is more Jewish than, like, Kugel or something. Well, so my question is, um, so Stephanie, you co-host the Unorthodox podcast with Mark Oppenheimer and Leo Leibowitz. And for those who don't know Leo, he's sort of a professional troll. So it's unsurprising <laughs> that he wrote the bacon entry. And you're defending it now and saying, oh, of course we have to include it on the list. But the way I'm imagining this happening in your office was Liel being a troll saying, well, we have to have bacon on the list. And then people rolling their eyes and then he kept pushing it. And then you guys sort of conceded. See, I actually don't know how it exactly happened, but I'll say Liel's kosher. Like Liel does not eat bacon and he is. Oh, he's just a troll. Trolls don't necessarily believe what they say. But so I'm just saying, so (laughs) at some point we were, it was always, the question was whether it was going to be bacon or trafe as an entry Ah. and trafe as in sort of the the things we don't eat, the things that aren't kosher. But the it was too vague, it was too broad. And so it's like shellfish, no one actually, if you keep kosher, you're not like, oh, I really miss, or I wish I could have shellfish. Or you kind of are like, I wish I could have a cheeseburger, maybe. I feel like I'm thinking about young kids who who find out what sort of what the other kids are eating and what they are, they're not allowed to eat. But we're mm-hmm. like, no, bacon is the forbidden fruit. And so in the photo shoot, we have bacon on a styrofoam plate. It's just like kind of hilarious. It's And it's it, the idea is to, Talk about how the, the role of bacon as just this like ultimately no, and then you kind of like as you as, as someone leaves maybe a, a more orthodox upbringing. I feel like bacon is the first thing you try. Like I think there is, is a way in be, which by the way, it would not be really putting it on. Uh, Stephanie, I don't I don't know if you keep uh, strictly kosher or not, but Alex and I do, and I would be really interesting to do a poll maybe because obviously we we all have uh, you know a lot of friends who used to be orthodox or used to keep kosher now or not. That would be interesting to say, like, what was the first thing you tried when you decided to keep kosher? That would be a, a really interesting poll, because for some people, it's like, you know, I went to Burger King on Yom Kippur, and, and, uh, which is one of my friends. Oh, um, but I do think, like, if I stopped keeping kosher tonight, I do think I would go and have a cheeseburger, so, which, you know, I guess is bacon adjacent, right? I think in, like, the culture at large, bacon is sort of the defining non-kosher food. But if you grow up strictly kosher, I would argue that shellfish is sort of more of, like, the, the, the Voldemort or whatever we want to call it, because bacon is not totally a unique category. It's still meat. You can have, like, turkey bacon. Obviously, it's not the same thing, but it's somewhat similar, mm. whereas the entire category of shellfish is so, like, verboten, and, like, that whole that's a whole category. But I have no desire for it, what, where, like, I would be fascinated to try yeah, something bacon. because you have an eight-year-old's... I, yeah, okay. No, I would <laughs> but not... But no, like, but that stuff looks gross. kosher sushi. Right, yeah, that's a yeah, terrible well, argument, Chester. That, There's to me, I would never be like, fish, yeah. I really want shellfish. That, yeah. to me, just... I mean, I didn't grow up kosher, and I'm not kosher, but, like, shellfish doesn't seem as appealing I as agree. bacon as this, like, sizzling, burning, evil. I was at this vegetarian restaurant in Chinatown in Philly once, or more than once, but once I ordered, they had, like, the way, it's one of those, like, hardcore Chinese vegetarian restaurants or vegan restaurants where they, like, the menu was literally by category, like, like beef, pork, chicken, except that each thing is not it's that. It's like an approximation yeah. of it. But, so I ordered, I ordered shrimp, and the shrimp came looking, phys- I don't know how they did this with tofu, they literally looked like little, like, pink shrimps. And it was so similar visually to me that I, I couldn't eat it because I had this, like, reaction because it was just, like, something that I'd identified as always I'm not allowed to eat. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, 
I've had what looks like bacon. Again, I'm sure it doesn't taste the same. I can't speak from personal experience. So to me, it's like the idea of shrimp, like a shrimp cocktail is not that that would be the best thing I'd want to eat the most. Probably a cheeseburger might be more exciting. It's just mixing meat and cheese in general seems like a big restriction. But it just seems so like that's like the red line. Yeah. I don't know. But I also okay, have no so desire have for it. bacon it's at 100. Too- <laughs> yeah. Well, can I ask can I ask Stephanie one more question just about like the overall yeah. construction of the list? So you have like Marcus Samuelson, you have Gail Simmons. Are you sending them like, hey, Marcus, uh, write about locks or hey, Gail, write about pickles? Or is it, hey, what would you be interested on this list of 100 or even outside? Like, you know, you pick whatever you want. We're just happy to work with you. So basically what we did was we knew that the uh, tablet staffers were going to write the bulk of the entries and that we were going to save about like 20 to 30 for outside contributors. And that's everyone from like, as I mentioned, David Sachs, who knows about Dell, like the expert on Dell. We had Jeff Yoskowitz, who has runs Gefilteria. He wrote about, you know, we sort of we knew experts on specific things. But then we approached someone like Gail Simmons. I'm not sure how the actual conversation went, but. I think we were like, is there anything you sort of want to write about? Here are some of the foods. And she was like, pickles. I love pickles. Like, pickles are a really meaningful food for me. And, you know, we went to Marcus Samuelson, um, who has sort of the red rooster empire in Harlem. He, and we said, what? I think we just said, what would you write about locks? And it turns out he has this sort of, because he's, he, he's Scandinavian. He ended up having this crazy story where his grandparents adopted, like took in a girl who had escaped, who had like fled Dachau. Mm. And so it actually had this crazy Holocaust story. And we're like, what? And then he said sort of, I think it was that experience that allowed my parents to adopt me, a black kid in the 70s. So like it actually ended up being this entry about locks, which is, has a big place in Scandinavia, but like this amazing story about his, his, his life. So yeah, that was definitely one of the I think ones. we went to Eric Repair and said like, would you write about the filter fish? Cause he is sort of the, the king of, of things like that. And he's like, yeah, it's like a canal. It's a fish canal. And it's just having those perspectives was really fascinating. I mean, in general, one thing that's great about this list is it's it's very diverse in terms of the Jewish diaspora. You have things from from all, from all India, from literally every country in the world where there's been Jews. Uh, that having been said, there's an American focus, which makes sense. You guys yeah. are an American Jewish magazine. And I think to the extent that there was anyone that suffered, it was Israel. Because there's a lot of sort of Israeli staples that don't show up on this list. Um, you know, there's there's foods like falafel, for example, but then there's even things like krembo, which are like, or bamba, which are Israeli snacks, which are not sort of a traditional food in the way that a falafel is, but it's a thing that everybody in Israel knows and has had, and, and would, if there was a list of 100 Israeli foods, it would for sure be on that list. So was that like an intentional decision to sort of be more American-focused than Israel-focused? Well, it's or? interesting because we we wanted to reflect the Jewish experience, but at a certain point it was like, well, how many foods, how many Middle Eastern foods do we want? How many, like how, how weighted do we want this list to be? And so, can I, can I sort of like interject for a second? Like my, uh, and listen, I have a very American palate and I live in Israel now, but I've, I've, you know, lived in America my whole life. And obviously Alex is, is American, but like half of the world's Jews live in Israel. So to me, I, I, you know, and I, I went online and I was looking at the mentions for this article, which was, which were pretty universally positive. But I, but people like you know the real haters were like, you know this is a Zionist list, blah blah blah. Like no, Israel is wildly underrepresented on this list. Like there are. I like that you're like this is not a Zionist conspiracy enough. This list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There, there are. Didn't take culinary colonialism far enough. That's like what it, we were. I mean, yeah, of course. I, and, and obviously, I like we didn't want to do. You know, I just there are certain foods, and I understand what you're saying, like to Middle Eastern, but if it's called the most Jewish, that, so. I guess let's start with this before we get into the rings. To me here, here, and Alex mentions them, I think falafel and shawarma, if you were putting hummus on the list, then we're not worrying about where the foods came from, which clearly we're not. Jews didn't invent potatoes or bacon. 
and you know the interesting thing about the hummus list is basically that which it's I thought it was brilliantly done because it's like hummus is the official snack of the NFL yeah. official spread yeah. Sabra hummus and so the argument is like hummus is nothing anymore like hummus is yeah. the NFL yeah. it's like I mean, a, you get like chocolate it it's just the yeah like we're not going to fight about where it came from it's yeah. in America it is literally no right. and right these are. are not foods that Jewish people invented or are claiming to invent <laughs> these are just foods that have a connection to Judaism or Jewish people um, so that, I, I, obviously, you okay, guys are 100% so right about. you wanted falafel? I think falafel and, and shawarma, they're just so ubiquitous in Israel, they have to be on there. I think every single street in Israel has the little bakeries with potato barekas. I think potato barekas needed to be on there. Yeah, we heard all people just wanted barekas in general. Barekas in general. Now, you did have you did have potatoes as a thing, so you could say, hey, p- potato barekas yeah. are part of potatoes. That's, that's okay. Um, here's a big one. Uh, couscous and petit tim are just, like, such staples of the Israeli diet. Uh, and you can, and you can also get them, like, if you're going out to eat in the mall, you could get them. Uh, I, I, to me, those have to be on the list. Again, that's that, this is where, like, putting bacon on, sort of, like, or putting Shabbos cereal, no offense to uh, my old uh, elementary school classmate, Menachem Butler, knocks off maybe deserving entries. <laughs> Lock, as you mentioned, so, you know, I accepted your entry. And one more, just because I really like it. It's not ubiquitous, but it's becoming much more popular in Israel, which is Sfinge, which is the, the Moroccan donut. It's like a fried Moroccan donut. And it's it's uh, it's becoming really popular here, and it's just uh, it's great. All right, I would, next list, next yeah, list. I would I would argue the one <laughs> the also top two hundred. Okay, but the one Israeli food you didn't mention is Cafe Hafuch. Yeah, Cafe Hafuch, because I thought you'd mention that, and and you said I don't Bamba. Even, I don't even know and how to translate that. Crembo. Yeah, Crembo. Crembo. There's literally like pop songs from the seventies about you know. No, Crembo. Um, like people pray to the Crembo. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Cafe Hafuch. I don't even know how do you I don't know how you translate it. It's it's like a coffee drink, but it's not. You know, you can't get it in America. I'll put it that way. Starbucks has like eight thousand drinks, but none are exactly like that. Um, all right, so keep, let's jump into this. Well, list. one more nit, one more nitpick. And again, yeah. this list is amazing. All right, so we're, that's we're what I'm here for. Um, I, you had Yemenite breads, but to me, Malawach and Jachnun are, are are like big time enough and Chilbe to probably all get their own entries ahead of like <laughs> ahead of some of the things on on the list. I thought they were totally, you know, um, not on the list, but you know, I unlike probably some of the haters. You know who just write me in Twitter comments? Like I did read all hundred entries, so I noticed that they are definitely <laughs> ac- accounted for. But like I would knock off cottage cheese and and you know give malawach its own thing. Also because like with a food like malawach, have you ever had it, Stephanie? Yes. So it's so good, right? And I feel like not yeah, enough people delicious. know about it. We like I want to be the publicist for malawach. It's such an underrated food. I like that you started this conversation by by the way being like this was an amazing project. You did a really good job, and like now we're here where you're like cut this, <laughs> cut this, cut this. I'm thinking like cut no, bacon. listen. Uh, we started by saying like it is amazing and it is great, and but listen, this is a show where really cool people definitely have to you know go look. at This, this. is a show where we we nitpick things, and also we're getting these out of the way, Stephanie. Because then we're really going to get into fighting about the rankings of the 100 good, in a second. Good, good. I do think, so yeah, so let's get into those rankings. I do think it's funny. Stephanie said how they went out of their way not to rank this. And so we've completely subverted their, like, editorial decision. It reminds me on Grantland where they had that bracket of the characters from The Wire. And then when David Simon heard about it, he was, like, so pissed because it was, like, completely antithetical to the whole purpose of his television show. Yeah, no, like, um, we're messing yeah. with your baby. We get it. Yeah, all right. So, Keeve, uh, you know, yeah. we both have bacon at 100, obviously. Um, neither one of us is. Well, can I so back up, Chester? Can I, before yeah. we get into our rankings, and um, Stephanie obviously doesn't have rankings, but I would uh, be, be very curious to hear what she has to say. I'm trying to stick to the letter of the, of the, of the list as much as possible. Uh, and um, and Did it's your called... children contribute to your rankings the no. way that they did with your no, five I rankings? close the door. <laughs> 
All right, so just to stick to what Stephanie, the way Stephanie intended, I ranked mine the 100 most Jewish foods. Not the, not the, not which foods do I like. So in some tiny way, you tried to preserve the integrity of the I'm tr- in, a, in a big wait, way, so, Stephanie. I'm, I'm wait, trying so to say you like. you rank them by the Jewish, Jewishness of them. Uh, yes, the hundred most Jewish foods. Oh, so I, well, I didn't rank them by the okay. foodiness of them. Okay. Okay. So okay. So our, so we have my, both, my, so wait. My them. my sort of my idea is if the list was only five, one through five would be the list. Like I could live without six through a hundred on the list. If the list was only twenty, <laughs> twenty-one to hundred is gone. My impression is that you you based it on like I don't even know because I saw your list for five seconds. Uh, a spoiler to the listeners: it's really bad. Yeah, Akiva, you lose every time we have a vote. But um, okay. I would just point out, if, if that's your standard, the Jewishiest, Jewishness of the food, yeah. you have apples at 29, right? Well, I put well, apples, apples and honey next like... to each other. Okay. So that, and I mean, have, that's... You have, you have like... Okay, all right. So let, let yeah, so to be clear of the terms of the, of the ranking, I rank them 1 to 100 how much I like this food, right? If I could eat any of these foods, which one would I eat? That, I, that, all right, that's a totally different thing than what I did, though. That's insane. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know on um on um the, the Joe Posnanski and Mike Schur their podcast. Yeah. How they do their rankings and they each like have different uh, like they do their drafts and they each have a different interpretation of what they're drafting. Yeah. This is like the most Jewish thing yeah. that I've ever done. Okay. Well, it's literally we have two different lists. Like we can't even compare. Okay. I'm good. All, uh, okay. Mine is. Who right cares what you like, like though? That has no value to Stephanie or you, to the now listeners. Now you sound like uh, Ted K on our flag podcast. Where he was like, well, you're making aesthetic judgments. Like, yeah, that's the purpose of this podcast, Akiva. I, I don't care for your opinion about what's, like, which is more Jewish, Kishka or... <laughs> I mean, Alex, like, I, I can't argue what you like. And another problem with the way you ranked your list is you've never had 20 of these foods at least. So how are you ranking from 1 to 100 if you, don't even, if you didn't know what some of them were till last week? I think there's, like, six foods on this list I haven't had. Stephanie, maybe, were there foods before you guys started that you had not heard of? Yes. And that was the point to basically expand course, our yeah. minds. Yeah. Do do you know off 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 the top of your head what what had you not heard of before this? Floodney, which is this like amazing Hungarian pastry that I ended up trying. Um, I think I had never had Melita or heard of it. That is this amazing Indian Indian dish that they use for sort of like ceremonial um, and special occasions. I hadn't had. I knew about mafleta, which is what you eat on Mamuna. I'd never tried it. Right, I mean, me there were sort of things My neighbor like, never like that. Mina de Matza, which is sort of this, I mean, like more, some of the more, look, I'm, have been accused many times of being Ashkenormative. Um, and that is, that's, my, I mean, that's where I'm coming from. So a lot of the Sephardic foods were less familiar to me. I mean, at the end of the yeah, day, it's like, say, who, just because like, for yeah. example, labda, which we talked about is a, uh, is a type of a latka. You can tell what it is from the list and you can tell, well, maybe I haven't called it labda, but I've had that, right? Okay. Like, for example, you had mentioned, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce it here, the Carciofiella Guadilla, the Roman fried artichokes. Yeah, yeah I mean it's basically al Giudia. Like it's it's Jew. It's like yeah. So artichokes I've, of Jews. I've had that at yeah. like at like Roman Jewish restaurants. Oh, like, you know I what? I've had that too. I, I take it back. Uh, I've the had that too. which you just mentioned. I've I've when I saw the picture and the description, I'm like, oh, I've had that. Yeah. I just didn't know that's what. It's or Yibro, like, which is like stuffed like grape a, leaves, which we've all had stuffed grape leaves. They're just saying like this sort of an orange dessert table before. You'll Chris Yeah. So that that's so my list is one hundred of how good the foods are. Which I assumed you were doing also, right. right? Listen, this is why we are literally never on the same page. All right, Akiva. So let's jump into this list. Uh, I think that I know the answer, but you have like eggplant, potatoes, and barbecue in your bottom five. You like those foods, but your concern is that they're not specifically Jewish enough, right? 
Yeah, it's a little bit... I agree, like, potatoes maybe have more significance to Jewish people, like, you know, than you, maybe one would think. But they're not... You know, we can't claim everything for just yeah. ourselves. The Irish are going to be really like, pissed to see potatoes on this list. It's not It's not just that. It's like, well, let's get more specific. Like, lot, potato pancakes, latkes are an extremely Jewish food, but... Um, potatoes themselves, not as much. To me, my my sort of method is like, what percentage of people who eat this food are Jewish? What percentage of people who are Jewish eat this food? And then like, is it ubiquitous ubiquitous enough to have made its way into the mainstream and started from us? That would be like the ultimate sort of winner. Okay, so my only issue with eggplant was that the uh, Gabriella Gazelowitz, yeah. she she said that the eggplant is to Sephardim as the potato is to Ashkenazim. To me, that's like a really hot take. You know, maybe I'm also to uh, Ashkenazim. Ashkenormative. Ashkenormative. No, but basically... But is the eggplant that, like, dominant a food in the Sephardic culture? I think so. I mean, look, but if you're going to cut potato, if your potatoes should go then with eggplant because you can't cut eggplant and not potatoes because then you're being Ashkenormative. I see. Okay. Yes. And then correct. they yell at you. <laughs> so to, to me, the bottom foods were just the ones that are really gross. Ptcha, which I can't pronounce. Cha. 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 It's a delicacy. Yeah. Schmaltz, which is literally fat. Uh, Gribbonies, which I, I, I know I'm going to like, going against Josh Molina will get me banned from Jewish Twitter. Yeah. But I had no idea what it was and his description made it sound even grosser than. <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, no, he did not sell it. <laughs> so you're basically just like going the things that like your grandparents ate, but you just think are gross. Well, and I mean, it doesn't look kosher, also. Most like most <laughs> older like generations trace. eat like horrible food. Like there's like these like Instagram feeds that show like food from like the sixties and seventies our parents grew up with, and our parents were eating like gelatinous, just like gross. Like well, that's like chab. Chab yeah. is our yeah. entry in the gelatin. Food always gets the gelatin Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. But can wait? Can I like say something in general, like about about Jewish food and and particularly like from what I from like when I was growing up. And and Chester, you grew up in Minnesota. I don't know if your experience was as as no, as like normal as mine, but like when I would eat at my, at my parents' house or at, at friends' houses, like the staples were always there. Like the food was so similar. Everyone had you know chicken or matzo ball soup. It was it, a meal always started with gefilte fish or chopped liver. Sometimes like a choice between gefilte fish or chopped liver. There was always chont and kugel on Shabbos. Like there are certain foods that were that were like assumed to be part of the meal and it was weird if once in a while you'd go to someone's house and they'd maybe like you'd go to a Sephardi's house and like oh we don't so that, you we don't grew up, you like, grew up nah. very deep in the stereotype is what you're saying yeah you really are because I like I ate Cholent in my life like my first 15 years of life maybe five times ever I think it, I think it it also starts with like if if your parents grew up orthodox like someone who grew you know what I mean someone who like grew up orthodox like oh yeah that chon that's like what my grandfather did and like kasha varnish guess was still really popular and and like you'd go to a you'd go to like the the local sort of um like deli-ish you know like takeout place and that would be one of the main things and I, to me now I, I feel like Jewish cooking in the last like 15 years has has you know like improved leaps and bounds to the point where you know obviously there's thousands of cookbooks and things where where we're sort of like where we used to be 30 years behind everyone now we're maybe just a few years behind people and i you guys are actually making this very personal and so i will just in in defense of this list that i spent a very long time working on um we were trying to be broad no broad, my, like, by the way my thing stephanie was was more about like Ju- judaism in the 90s like just saying how much food has improved it has nothing no, no, to no, do that's with, true uh, that's true but i mean i think i think but i think there is a, a package that is gefilte fish chulent kugel like there is that package and and if that, I'm curious to see if that is, yeah, if your top five is, yeah, <laughs> is that. 
So, so Stephanie, last week we ranked flags, and we had like this flag expert, this vexillologist on Ted K, <laughs> and he kept saying with this concern, like, you guys are trying to judge us on aesthetics, and he's like, he missing the point, like, this is a myopic podcast. This is all about what we like. No, no, I'm, like. I'm, 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 so, it's yeah. amazing. It's and amazing. also is on record. He hates Ted, Ted K has not, not joined hot take culture. <laughs> but I also think to not rank flags aesthetically, like, what are you ranking them on? They're literally. They, you just look at them, yeah, well, but we Ted, don't. Yeah, Ted's not a flag ranker. He also, but yeah, <laughs> he's a right. flag appreciator. It'd be like yeah. ranking his kids. Exactly. <laughs> All right, I just want to discuss a couple of these other foods that I think are really gross and I had at the bottom of my list. Compote, like, so uh, I mentioned Mike Sure before. He's like a hot fruit absolutist, where he's anti pie, and I disagree with him. I like pie. But hot fruit yeah. without a pie crust is definitely gross. Like compote. First of all, I didn't even know it as a Jewish food, but like, it, nobody likes compote. I'm sorry. I thought compote was cold, though. It looks cold in the picture. Stephanie, it's, it's not, a colder it's hot. It's not fresh, but it's not like fresh fruit. It's like they cook it and sogify it. Or, I don't know. Okay. All right. So we're done with compote. What about simis, Alex? Do you have a, do you have a take on simis? So similar issue. Like simis, where do I have simis <laughs> it's, on it's my list? Si- it's similar issue. Yeah, I have it number 86. Like, I like carrots. I don't like soggy carrots. Like, one of the main appeals of the carrot is that crunch. Right? And you can oh, cook. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Timis is gross. Along the lines of what I was saying before, when I went to Camp Morasha for 11 years, every on every Shabbos uh, lunch table, they would put a plate of Timis, and it never got touched by a child once yeah, in 11 no, years. No child is voluntarily and, eating Timis. But there's an interesting <laughs> thread in this in the in the list that basically is like, this was something I found gross when I was a child, and as I got older, I learned to love it. Like kichel. Sure. Like those. It's actually yeah. kind of an interesting thing. And the other thing, the other thread that I will a thread that emerged is a lot of people being like. I had to carry this to school, and I was I, it marked me as different. And there's sort of an ah. interesting way in which, like Hydrox, for example, versus Oreos. Hydrox were for a long time the kosher versions of kosher option to Oreo. Turns out they actually predated Oreo. Now Oreos are kosher, I think. So Hydrox is like not even yes. a thing anymore. The but one market is gone. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting, and so so there are like sort of some 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 similarities that run throughout the entries. These experiences of people being like, I ate this and it made me different, but now I appreciate it. <laughs> Right, and the food being bad doesn't mean it shouldn't be on the list. I, I think you need to have kichel and you need to have tzimis and all those foods. I'm just saying it's just interesting how these foods are sort of, you know, well, like, like the, the name Fanny, Fanny or Gertrude. Like, it used to be a very Jewish thing, and now it's dying out. Someone referenced in their entry the beige K foods, beige foods that start with K, like kreplach and knishes. Like, all these foods actually just start mm-hmm. with K, and they're all bland and beige. Oh, knishes is another thing that could have easily been on the list, I assume was probably in your top 150. But yeah, but it was sort of just like a, a fun decision to just be like, nope, knishes aren't in there. We made a very specific deli entry. Uh-huh. All right, so Keith, let's talk. So uh, Stephanie, Keith had a Seinfeld podcast before he uh, did. This of course, podcast. he did. And uh, let's talk about sort of these, the a lot of the Jewish foods that were popularized by Seinfeld culture. So you have the marble rye, which is on this list. You have babka, which is on this list. You have the black and white cookie. Yep. So I'm going to start with the black and white cookie. Uh, the black and white cookie is a garbage cookie. Um, it's, yeah. The cookie itself is flavorless. The frosting is like cheap and like crusty, and it's just gross. It's also, by the way, it's not even symbolic of like ethnic diversity because the black and white are totally segregated and opposite sides yeah. of the cookie. So yeah. you know, there, there are cookies. You can have like things where like the chocolate and vanilla come together. That cookie's not an example of it. Terrible cookie. 
Uh, and also, by the way, then they have them, if you go to like a bar or a bat mitzvah or like a bris or like a girl's uh, baby ceremony, then you might see pink and white or blue yeah, and white. Yeah, that offends me. Yeah. Well, the, blue, say... the, 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 the Israel blue and white was very, like on Rosh Chodesh in a lot of schools, you'd get the blue and white cookies. It's, it's yeah. But I think that a good black and white is amazing. And I also think, you know, I have, we have a colleague, he, he wrote a few entries. He, his pen name is Manish Shana, and he is a Jew of color. And he basically says like this, as a racial symbol, this is bullshit. Like they should not be, like he's, he's written a piece and it's actually in Melissa Clark's black and white entry, which is an amazing entry, just sort of about the cookie's history, we link to, like, the related entry is Manishna's argument that's called, like, black and white and not all right. So we do acknowledge that. But, yeah, so on Seinfeld, he says it's, a, a like, a symbol of racial harmony. And yeah. I think Obama also said that at, like, a deli in Florida yeah, once. And they don't get along so well, remember? Jerry ends up vomiting. So. Uh, so let's talk about some of those other uh, foods. So the babka is one where I, I totally am on board with Seinfeld. I have babka number six. I think babka is underrated. I think it is impossible to leave a babka on a table and not eat most of it. Uh, my one cr- criticism of Seinfeld is there's no such thing as a lesser babka. Cinnamon chocolate doesn't matter. All babka is good babka. Akiva, what's your take on the babka? Well, I don't eat. I don't. I don't eat. Cho- I don't eat chocolate, so I prefer the cinnamon babka. <laughs> what so kind of monster are, are you? I know. Yeah, my uh, a, a real a, a true like one of America's great monsters. I'm just looking at this picture of this babka and I'm getting hungry. I ate that. Like we had several. You ate this one. <laughs> well, like Russ and daughters gave us the babkas for these, and I just like ate several babkas for a very long time. All right, let's talk about another uh, Seinfeld uh, food that was popular in Seinfeld, which is Entenmann's. So, Akiva, I'm sure you love Entenmann's, right? Love Entenmann's. Uh, again, I didn't realize it had, other than, like, I think the bakery is on Long Island, I didn't realize it had such strong Jewish connotations and the fact that it was kosher. Um, so I was curious to see that, uh, to see it in there. But, yeah, I'm a big Entenmann's guy. But I think, that, I mean, the, the int- that entry was by Phil Rosenthal, who is the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond and has this amazing new food show. I think it's called Somebody Feed on Phil on Netflix. Yeah. yeah. And it's almost there. These are certain foods that actually wasn't, like, when he ate it, he, it wasn't a Jewish food, right? It wasn't kosher. Yeah, but I was going to say. Right. It, right. it was part of his, like, Jewish New York upbringing in a way that it was for me, too. And it's, it's funny. Um, my husband said when he read the list, he was like, it's so funny. There are foods on those cake. The uh, foods on that list, I just assumed were just like things I ate. But like the Stella Doro right. cookie has this Jewish history, and Entenmann's too. I mean, it's not a Jewish-owned company. It's just it's a food that has sort of wormed its way into the Jewish like cultural zeitgeist. So Akiva, I was going to ask you uh, to rank the Entenmann's uh, desserts. Which are the best ones? I googled it. Of course, those rankings already exist. To me, there's a clear winner and a clear number two. There's two Entenmann's that are clearly better than the rest. But what's your take? If you like gave me, I would have to almost because I haven't had it in a while. I would almost have to see all of them. I love oh, the which apple one's pie. Ahead. Okay, I I love the apple pie. I hated the donuts. I, to me, it's like if you want a donut, what? go to Dunkin' Donuts. Well, because Dunkin' Donuts have better donuts than Entenmann yeah, Donuts. Yeah, the plain chocolate donut is mediocre. I mean, I remember it as just being like the most delicious thing in the entire world. But you're also really eight when you're eating it, right? Yeah. Especially. So to me, to me, the best two by far. First of all, the mini, the soft chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that. That's probably the most popular one. Yeah, the, the number of those cookies that you ate was the number that was available to you. Like, there was nobody was stopping. <laughs> yeah. And then the other one is Agreed. like the is the crumb cake. Yeah, uh, like the melt away. Yeah, I didn't eat that. It was my it was big in my family, but I don't eat crumb cake. God, all yeah, this is insane. This is like getting so niche at this point that it's just fascinating. Yeah, so Stella Doro, Keith, I see you had Stella Doro in your bottom eight. So to you, that's not a Jewish cookie. Let me tell you how Jewish the Stella Doro is. Um, I was mm-hmm. so my son. Uh, there, there's this song on YouTube uh, called the Avera song, which it, we're getting even more inside Jewish baseball here. It's some yeshiva kid in Israel made a song where he uh, tongue in cheek uh, lists all the sins that he that he commits. 
but they're all things that like you'd have to be like super orthodox to get. I don't even get half of them, and none of them are sins. Anyway, my son really likes it. He calls it the Yiddish English song, so he always has to listen to that in the car. So we were listening to that, and then because we listened to that, it automatically played like the next song on YouTube. So the next one was some other like Hasidim in Brooklyn made some rap song for like this autism awareness charity, and it was about losing weight for autism. And so the whole song was he was talking about all the ways he was gonna have to cut out his diet to lose weight. And the Stella Doro cookie, he said he was only eat the fudge middle and not the cookie part to like cut out on the carbs. So it's such a Jewish food that like this Hassan mentioned it alongside like Kishka and like Chalant is like the, one of the Jews. I, I wonder if it's because A, it was always kosher. Like like uh, Stephanie was saying, like I, you know, so, some of these foods just maybe were, you know, were just available to people when, when other foods weren't. And also it's par of meaning you can, um, after you've had... I, I'm not even going to explain Parv, but it, but it makes it more yeah it's non-dairy which makes it more accessible on Saturday afternoon. Okay, but Akiva, but my when, question is, you know, so your rankings you are in the Jewish Jewishness of the foods, and yet you have Stellar ninety two. So why is it so low? I had no idea at any Jewish connection till this podcast. That's that's why yeah. I, I didn't even realize it. It's it, so Jewy. You know, it was yeah. on, you're such it was on you're the, such a uh, Jew. You don't radar. even know how much of a Jew. You are. <laughs> Yeah. By the way, the Stella Dora, <laughs> Maybe it should be number one. I used to buy like those packages of Stella Dora in, in high school, and I'd like eat the entire thing at like eleven. And you do, you eat, you have to eat around it in a circle, and yeah. then get to the chocolate, and then you get to eat the chocolate. But that's another one like Antimins. Nobody's eating like one of them. Uh, another one that's at the very bottom of your list, Akiva. This is ninety nine on your list, which uh, is almost just shows you uh, your your hatred for our forefathers. Why do you have a lentil stew at ninety nine? Well, it's a specific well, lentil stew. Just, let's say yeah. it was it's, a specific lentil stew that I'd never heard of, and unlike so many, a well, lot of the arguments, you've never heard which, the story of Jacob and Esau. Yes, you have. No, okay, I have. I didn't know this is like a real thing. That that okay. In my mind, this is like okay. This is important because it happened once. But this isn't something people eat like Yaakov's lentil stew. People have lentils, but this is not something that anybody ever eats. Okay. And if it is, it's, I'm, I'm me, unaware of it. Let me jump in and explain. The entry is actually Jacob's lentil stew. And it's literally referring to the lentil stew that Esau sold Jacob his birthright to. Like, it right, was, right. the idea is, is not So that it people... should be one in theory. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, how could it be less important then than, than any of these? And in, we're not in, arguing by that, going by that people still eat it, but the argument is that this is a food from the Bible that must Understood. have been so good that he li- that he sold his birthright. To and her. I would argue that it uh, does no. have it, it does have a tale that goes into Jewish culture today because, like, other than like sushi, I think the most common food at like a kosher restaurant in Manhattan is lentil soup. Every restaurant serves lentil soup. And by the way, I always like lentil soup. Very hard to mess it up. I always like it. Lentil Where do you guys have kosher sushi uh, on your list? Okay, so that's a good question. So to me, so that was Yara Rosenberg's contribution, my uh, high school and also college uh, friend. Uh, to me, there you can interpret this two ways. You can mean sushi at like a kosher restaurant, or you can interpret the way that I think he meant, and is also the image on the website, which is the fact that every single like kosher pizza shop has like a random guy making sushi in every kosher I think this store. is what Yair meant. Yeah. yeah. And it's sushi that's been sitting out. It's not like the freshest <laughs> sushi. It's definitely not like, you know, straight. It's not like, you know, like in Tokyo where, you know, the fish was swimming in the ocean 10 minutes ago. Like this has been like sitting for a while. It's like supermarket sushi. Yeah, exactly. So the prepackaged stuff, it's not great, honestly. I have it at number 42. It's sort of in the middle because like, it's still like, it's not like it's, by sushi standards, it's not good, but it's still like it's a fine thing to have as like a little meal. It is an important part of sort of kosher culture now. Like if you, if I were to sit down with like a friend who knew nothing, who was from say Minnesota, but not like you, someone who had no 
who like just knew nothing or this you know person from Wisconsin and they they're like tell me about kosher food like it would come up pretty quickly by the way like every kosher restaurant thinks that they're obligated to have sushi now. oh no that for sure it's like a running joke court. among like people I've worked with who live in the city like when we go, like the way you identify a kosher restaurant in New York City is the fact that no matter what the theme or the like yes. the, the nation of origin for like the menu there's always going to be sushi on the menu also yeah yeah that's that definitely belongs that's that's definitely there uh, yeah, and so the, I under, I appreciate what you did. By the way, to speak about uh, friends of ours who had weird posts, you mentioned before, Menachem Butler's post is trash. First of all, <laughs> <laughs> first of all, Menachem, like, what world did you live in where your mother made you a hot breakfast every morning? That's insane to me. Like, that is crazy. That is crazy. Like, I, 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 Menachem Butler and I had, to, to make this a little more, to make this a little more Jewish, Stephanie, That's like, you know how, not only do we know now. everyone, but... <laughs> Uh, Menachem and I not only went to elementary school together, but had the same bar mitzvah parsha. So we had to like have one class go to his bar mitzvah, and one class go to mine. Um, and but so you, uh, but still I still resent I, him I, for it. No, no, not at all, not at all. And then I went here, to the Sunday the thing problem. in some like, fancy hotel. Wait, can you say what? Let's talk about what the entry is. Okay. It's basically the idea yeah. that on Shabbos morning you ate cereal because you couldn't make like a hot meal, and so he would only eat like exciting Fruit Loops. On, on Shabbos, and so more than even right. challah, he has this association. But his mom wouldn't let him have, let's say, honeycombs during the week. It was a Shabbos-only well, okay. treat. Yeah, so it was the title a of the entry is That's Sugar Cereals for Shabbos Morning. And before I clicked it, I thought what he was going to say is his parents made him eat, like, plain Cheerios or Rice Krispies Sunday through Friday, and then on Saturday he yeah. would get, like, the sweet cereals. But that's not what he I says. I think that is what he was saying. No, but, but he actually says, he says, my mother would make me a hot breakfast every single morning. Which blows my mind. My mother made me a hot breakfast like three times in my life. If I want a hot breakfast, oh, I'm yeah. going oh, Maybe if there was no work yeah. in school. Yeah, and then he was saying, and then on Saturdays we can't cook, and so we have to have cereal. And like, so he's like, every Orthodox Jew I know has this memory of eating cereal. Like, cereal is one of my main food groups, and I think Akiva, you're the same. We're going to be doing our cereal rankings at some point. Oh, I love cereal. For sure. You want to come back, Stephanie? Yeah. I would love to. I'll, we'll bring Menachem back, and you guys can just... But the idea that, like, you, like... I'm sorry, Menachem. Like, this is almost like Akiva has this, like, very, like, traditional interpretation of, like, gender norms in terms of cooking because Akiva, like, has no idea how to turn on a microwave. And, like, Menachem's is even crazier. Like, oh, everybody knows your mother makes you hot breakfast. Like, that's crazy. Okay. Wait, but, wait, but this is even, this is even wilder. Um, and we like Menachem. We're teasing. But um, uh, he lists as one of his sugar cereals Rice Krispies, which is, a, like, <laughs> the, the cereal that everyone else's mom would have been forcing them to eat Sunday through Thursday. So I'm not so sure <laughs> By the way, my, my, if I'm going to tell a story about sort of the desire to get the sugar cereal at camp, when I was a kid and I was going to my Jewish day camp, sleepover camp, they would have at every table, they'd have those little boxes of cereal where there's, like, the perforated line yeah, I love to those. pour the milk in, which would leak instantly 100% of the time. But at each table, they would throw, like, like six raisin brands and like four rice krispies and like two sugar cereals. So every bunk, like two kids would get it. So there'd be this yeah. Yeah. insane race in the morning to be like you, yeah, usually yeah. we'd start we'd, like the first thing in the morning would be you'd go to services and then you'd go to like Mifkad, which was sort of like everybody lines up and they announce the schedule for the day. And then for Mifkad, they release you to breakfast and it would be this massive sprint because you knew like only two kids in each bunk were getting sugar cereals. And by the way, I'm sure that like the staff who was putting out the cereals was doing that just to like create this like Lord of the Fly situation yeah. because it was like it was yeah. a terrible idea. And we all knew Menachem yeah, Butler. Yeah, no, this was very similar. I, a lot of oh, people had Menachem a very Butler's similar the kind of guy. He, he wasn't running to get there, but he had connections, and so he was showing up late and still getting that sugar cereal from the back kitchen somehow. There are probably um, b because sugar cereals are generally like the more expensive cereals. So I, I think there's, there, you know, if you go to a, camp, a summer camp or something like that, it, you know, it would make sense that they would only serve them once. Wait, they're charging more for Frosted Flakes by the box than Raisin Bran? I don't know about that. 
Yeah, sugar cereals are way more expensive. When I went, when I when I went le- uh, learned abroad for a year, uh, here, and uh, after like two months, the school realized like, oh my god, we're spending like all of our money <laughs> on sugar cereals every morning. So they said like we're only gonna have it on very special occasions, but they didn't announce it. So then one day, like this kid came over and is uh, like semi jokingly said like, hey Rabbi, where's my tricks? And then the the musser, which I don't even know how I would translate musser, Chester. Like the once a once a week sort of like uh, group speech where he just yelled at us for half hour what we were doing wrong. Like I just remember the rabbi yelling like, "Where's my tricks?" And he'd say like, "This guy is like you know in the army and he's on a hill eating spam out of a container and you want to know where your tricks is?" And it was just like one of the highlights of my whole childhood. Him yelling, "Where's my tricks?" All right, uh, let's talk about some more garbage foods on this list. Kiddush cookies. Kiddush cookies are terrible. They're slightly better than black and white because you have diversity. A few of them are good, but they're like sawdusty. They crumble. They make crumbs. They're not good. <laughs> but a very good entry. I think like I oh, might have missed this if I was entry. making yeah, this I- myself. Like a very smart entry uh, because it is like something that is is very relatable. But I agree, like I, I think we are growing out of them as, as a people now. And the entry I will – in my uh, – this is what I'm doing everyone every time now. The entry basically says that, you know, the there used to be people who cooked – Make baked cookies every week for for kiddish for which is after services on the on Shabbat, and at some point basically synagogues outsourced that and basically bought these, as you say, terrible kiddish cookies that everyone associates with going to synagogue, but it actually. It did two things. It told these women specifically who were making the cookies that their work wasn't valuable, and it also said that like the hmm. bottom line, there's a bottom line for everything, and we need to save money. And so, the, it, this entry actually says that kiddish cookies. The the, tr- the the move to mass-produced Kiddush cookies is like actually is the destruction of the Jewish people, of the communal Jewish life in America. <laughs> now, let, let's take a step back for our, our suffering, confused Gentile listeners. Kiddush is basically... Wait, hold on. Oh, can I, wait, uh, Chester, yeah. we lost... About 10 minutes ago, we lost our final Gentile listener. You can just plow straight ahead. Just, literally, you could speak in Hebrew for the rest of the show. <laughs> All right, so yeah. So uh, at synagogue on Saturday mornings after services, there's a reception, which is... It most like my wife, for example, has never showed up except for that. So after services is a reception where people eat and drink and socialize. Really throwing Dr. Jen under the bus. Uh, under the bus, she would take pride in that. She, <laughs> if she shows up and people are still in the sanctuary, she knows she's showed up. You guys, her. I'm surprised you didn't do this into like a bracket. Well, so that, that we, you know, yeah, in honor you're of. You're much. You know what? You didn't do into a bracket, uh, Stephanie. If you guys made 64, we would have done it. But it, but the truth is. Uh, you're much smarter than us, and we should have. I don't know. We, it sounds like by the time I walked in, there were only 64 <laughs> left on this list. <laughs> All right, so I want to stay at Kiddush for a second. We talked about the Kiddush cookies, which are garbage. Uh, let's talk about a food which I think like has the biggest range in terms of like a good version of this to a bad version of this, and that's herring. Akiva hates herring. Makes fun of me for liking herring. I don't hate herring. I I think I said I think I said once that anybody who eats herring is stupid. Like there's something wrong with you if you like herring. It has to be like a fourth generation like acquired taste because it's an objectively bad food that people in like on like BuzzFeed videos use as an example of like will this moron eat this disgusting food and then it's herring. First of all, Kiva, you're not just offending the Jews. You're offending the Scandinavians because it's a uh, it's. Oh yeah, no, we're going for the whole. Okay, I will say this: bad herring is so gross. Disgusting, and that's like at ninety percent. The same kiddish as where you're getting the kiddish cookies, you're getting bad herring. Oh, really? And that's what ruins people for Akiva for life because they think her- bad herring is all herring. But good herring is really, really good. It's expensive, and it's like the the, the range is so dramatic. They they shouldn't even both be called herring because it really it gives it like it's much bigger range than like sushi, for example. Good herring, Akiva, 
I would give it to you, but again, it's not like an eight-year-old's favorite food, so you're not gonna like it. Good herring is phenomenal. It would be wasted on me. No, yeah, it would be wasted. Good herring is really good. I don't know, Stephanie, are you a herring fan? I don't like herring. We actually did a herring tasting at Tablet a few years ago where we got a bunch of different kinds, and like I get it. It's just not my taste. Um, but I wonder if there's a correlation between people who are like, if people don't like herring, also don't like certain other things. What's it? Might be a texture thing, also. Like it has a very specific texture and smell. <laughs> it's and then it's like it's in the container with all the other stuff. Like I don't like condiments so much, which is me being weird, but like it comes in the like cream and onion sauce and that to me I oh, don't like. The, are you anti are you like anti ketchup and mustard? We might have to explore this. I'm of. not anti ketchup and mustard, but okay. I firmly believe that a food should stand on its own and it should not require okay. like a garnish or a condiment. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's I, like I when say people say, "Oh, I don't like XYZ, but if you deep fry it it's really good." Like yeah, then you're not eating yeah. food here. Um, but you should deep fry herring probably. We can we can really <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, I think that I think good herring is really good, but I understand why it's not necessarily going to be everyone's taste. Uh, Akiva, when's the last time you've eaten herring? I mean, I like my kids. It bothers my kids that I don't eat it because like their grandfather comes and literally like makes it, and my wife doesn't even let him like make it in our kitchen because she also says he'll have to like go to someone else's house to make it. So hopefully never. Like I I, I I've tasted bites, but I it's not for me. Okay, so my wife, uh, Doctor Jen, she's anti fish in general, other than like certain sushi and like tuna. Is it because she's a doctor? No. Well, this is my argument. Nobody's anti fish or anti any food. You're anti bad version of that. And the example I give is like when we go to like a nice restaurant. And I order like a piece, like a nice piece of fish that's like a really like thirty, forty dollar fish. I'll give her a bite, and she's like, "Oh, that's really good." And so my point is, you don't dislike fish; you just dislike like crappy, low quality fish. Yeah. And I think that's true for like most foods. And so like. All right. This is this is a this is a nothing take, Chester. Let's move this on. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> this is like a cutthroat podcast, holy. Yeah. No, we're mean to each other, and we're being. By the way, we're being gentlemen because we're, we're being polite here. Yeah, we're trying we to be a guest. Well, yeah. thank you. <laughs> thank right. you for holding back. So what's your next hot take on? This? No, I mean I'm mostly I'm mostly I'm mostly teasing. Chester, why don't we get into sort of like the elite the elite foods here? Okay, so let me let me let me say one food like. that I think a lot of people have in the elite. It's certainly very popular in like hipster New York right now, and that's shakshuka. There's like shakshuka trucks yeah. now. Everybody loves shakshuka. I appreciate shakshuka, but my problem with shakshuka is the texture of it. You need some you need some kind of carb. You need a, a bread or something to dip into it. It's too like liquidy saucy to eat on its own. I mean, typically, isn't there like a pita or a piece of bread involved at, well, at if, these if like brunch like, places? If you go to like Homo's Kitchen, there will be. But if you get it from like that shakshuka truck that they have like a couple blocks from here, no, they don't give you anything. You just sit there and eat your shakshuka, and it's like I don't know. I need I need I need a carb in there. It is messy. My daughter said uh, girls like bring it to school and eat shakshuka. Like that's their that's their. Wait, they're eating so it cold. It is uh, so big that. here. Explain that to me. They're eating it cold. How's that happening? I don't know. My I mean, my kids have have a very doting mother. Who, if they're gonna have hot food, she will literally um, like bring them the hot food during the day. They also have a doting dad who works. Wait, she like comes to. All right, this is like Menachem yeah, Butler territory. So, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, no, for sure they're spoiled. But you ever see there? There's a mini documentary. Everyone should check it out on YouTube. It's like five minutes of the of the culture of uh, Indian lunches, work lunches. Do you guys know anything about this? In India, there's a big sort of. Um, uh, culture of the of a woman will make the guy the it's called dabawalas and basically it's a, it's it's sort of like a, a lunchbox delivery service for the whole country so you uh you know a person make makes the lunch in the morning let's say i assume it's it's generally the woman a wife the wife makes the lunch and then these guys will will take like hundreds of these lunches on these trays travel across like the city on trains and bring them the uh 
hot lunch so they can eat their hot lunch at at their desk. And then the most insane part is that like an hour and a half later, they come back and pick up the boxes and bring it back to to the to to the wife who's at home so she can wash it and like start preparing tomorrow's food in it. Which to me, like, why can't the guy just bring it home himself? But uh, it, it like you, it's called Daba Walla, and you should definitely Google and like uh, YouTube YouTube like five minute videos of it because it's amazing. Okay, so you brought up Indian food. There was an Indian uh, Indian Jewish food entry on this list, Melita. I, you know, it's not something that I have familiarity with, so I, I sort of had it in the middle. But I do love Indian food. It's one of my favorite, like, uh, you know, types of food. I was actually literally eating Indian food for lunch on Friday when I was making these rankings. <laughs> so tell us, tell us what Melita is and how it was sort of chosen as like the, the Indian entry on this list. So Melita is this amazing, beautiful food. I, the picture is just it's like it's rice and there's a sort of rose, like the flower petals in it. It's it's unbelievable and it basically is a food eaten by Indian Jewish communities and it actually is for special occasions, right? Like if there's an engagement, there'll be a Melita ceremony. Um, and there's it's it's just it's just incredible and this is the kind of food it's like you wouldn't know right you wouldn't know what it was if you grew up in America and you didn't have any um, Indian heritage or didn't have any connection to that community and that's why it was important to put this on the list on this list like I don't know Akiva if you would say like oh no one eats this I, it shouldn't be on the list well, but uh, <laughs> no no I, well, again I, I I have no problem any of the foods that have cultural significance I have zero problem with 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 being on the list. That's I, I hope I hope it's not like that's not how it's coming off. I think all of those foods are a big asset to the list. I think our our gripe was more with like, well, this is it's not the foods that aren't Jewish per se, you know the the potato or the or the eggplant or something like that. No, Melita, and and also just to learn about stuff like this. Also, Adafina, which I I had no familiarity with. Chester, yeah, I mean, did you know? Were you? I, got, I forgot which one is Adafina is, is known as converso stew. And basically, oh. it's what you would eat. It's like Spanish chocolate. Yeah, it's Spanish chocolate that didn't have pork in it. And so if you were in Inquisition-era Spain, it was one of the, the key tells that you were still like Judaized or whatever they called it, that you weren't you hadn't converted fully. Because um, you would have this food and you wouldn't eat pork. You wouldn't have pork in it. And I think the pe- you would, it, would be, it would sort of give you away in a way. Because there would be no like chorizo in it. Yeah, and what about pekela, which is very spinachy? Pekela is a Tunisian a Jewish food. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these foods actually look pretty similar to each other. Um, yeah. So this is sort of like a, a stew. But yeah, I mean, it's a Tunisian Jewish food that, that no one really else eats. There's sort of like potato in it. There's um, spinach. There's like It looks like almost like chickpeas or ch- some sort of beans. You guys should like list restaurants where all these items can be ordered <laughs> somewhere. Like, that, that, that would have been like a cool feature. Yeah, like... Uh, the, like the trendy Jewish eatery downtown product, to find it. I mean, I'm sure there aren't a ton of places that are just like throwing around Sofrito, but it would have been <laughs> fun to find them. All right, so let's jump to the top ten. So again, you and I are going to have very different okay. top tens. All right. Yeah, um, yes. So what, what you want to start with yours, the Jewishiest foods or mine, the best foods? What do you want to do here? I'll start with mine. Um, just like a couple things, like obviously haroset, like an insanely Jewish food that is an important part of the Passover Seder, like that needs to be somewhere, and that was, uh, that was right outside. Um, uh, Buxer is another food that, like, I think is maybe going the way of the dodo, but was like a very, uh, like, it it was it was always there on on tuba av like some teacher would give it out and everyone would take one bite and then like dare people to eat the whole thing because yeah that's such garbage though nobody nobody has ever enjoyed one of those things no 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 and and I think there was a big kick in the seventies for to no, make I also never heard the word buxom before I just call it carob yeah or car- people know it better as carob that's true also and also like cheesecake 
uh, basically has its own holiday. So to me, although with my friend group a couple years ago, I said like cheesecake is good, but it's not good enough to have one yontif, one holiday every year. So uh, can we make like because we used to we used to have a cheesecake making contest where all of our friends would make a cheesecake and then like we're, there would be judges. Um, and then, you know, we'd rate who had the best cheesecakes. And I said, like, why don't we do chicken wings next year? Like, why do, what, what's, is, is... Was that the first iteration of this podcast? Was the cheesecake bake-off ranking? <laughs> no, uh, it should have been. I do try and get people to cook for me because I don't know how to bake or cook. But, but, uh, the, the chicken wings, uh, idea was shot down by my wife and everyone else, uh, in, in the group. But I thought it was a good idea. Like, cheesecake maybe deserves, like, a holiday once every five years, not every year. But yeah, cheesecake's up there. Uh, I, Kugel, I have Kugel at 12, Chon at 5, but they're in the same group. Which is uh, to people like Alex and myself, even though Alex says he didn't have it at home, it is it is you know almost the, like the most stereotyp- stereotypical Jewish food. But because my uh, my criteria is uh, you know percentage of Jews that a- that eat cholent, cholent is almost an exclusively Orthodox and Ashkenazi food. Where you know Sfarim don't have it, even super modern people like when I was growing up didn't always have it. It was really like. Uh, you know, if your like grandfather made it, then you still made it. And people either have chon every Shabbos their whole life, or it's a food that's you know occasional or or never. I've had chon once, and it was we took a, a road trip to Muncie, New York, to <laughs> go to like the gas oh, wow. stations. We, we did like we rated five of them. We you guys would gas have loved it. Yeah, like, you go to the gas station. <laughs> I, I would have loved night. that. It was. I mean, it's good. It's just like a stew. I mean, it's to me, it was very. Yeah. It was like oh, it's like kind of like Jewish chili. Yes, but it is the staple of of every kiddish and every Orthodox shul in the world. Yeah, but bad chalent is so bad. Yeah, it seems like it could be gross. vegetarian chalent is like a crime against humanity. I I agree also. Uh, So uh, You guys agree on something. This is amazing. So, Akiva, I see you have sufgani yodah number six on you. So sufgani yodah jelly donuts, which are like the prime Hanukkah food in Israel. But in America... It's it's like you know the latke is definitely king of, of Hanukkah and the soup- so I was discussing this with my wife I, and I don't know Stephanie I, I you tell me one second I guess if you have more latke experience or sufganiya experience I think the difference is whereas here all these bakeries and bakeries are everywhere for reasons I have no idea in Israel the sufganiya you could just you literally walk in you walk in the mall and you're assaulted by the smell of them and you you know your kids will make you buy them and and they're there for you know almost like pumpkin in America where they're there from like September through the holiday. Whereas it would be weird to like walk around eating a latka. No store serves a latka, but at home in America you don't have these these bakeries just you know throwing donuts at you. So at home, my wife makes latkas. So in America, where you don't have these bakeries, you're going to have more latkas than donuts. Where people aren't sitting at home, donuts are more of a pachki, as our grandmas would say. So uh, you know that's why latkas are probably more prevalent in America. But what, if are you team latka or team sufganiya, Stephanie? See, I think you're actually. Uh, I think you're totally right on this. Um, I think Sufganiya, like, they show up at the office sometimes. I feel like the Chabad guys bring them around. Or, like, you go to, like, Bread's Bakery in New York and get them. We work at Jewish magazines. Sufganiya. They don't. They don't. And the Shmar Matzah, too. Um, So, basically, I think you're right. I think latkes here are the big thing because you can make them more easily, I imagine, than you can make a jelly donut. And I think it's funny because, like, Dunkin' Donuts will have jelly donuts for Hanukkah. And you're like, well, that... That's not. I mean, I know Akiva, you're a Dunkin' Donuts devotee, but um, yeah, lakas for sure. Is that cultural appropriation? If Dunkin' Donuts specifically has uh, jelly, donuts I think on Dunkin' Donuts has, has so is so far past cultural appropriation. <laughs> <laughs> Akiva, have I told you? My, I don't know if I've told you the story before. Uh, during my year in Israel on Hanukkah, I was at like a party at um, at, at like one of our teachers' houses, 
and this kid sitting next to me, who I won't mention because I'm about to defame, like say horrible things about him. He was like a really pimply, like greasy, gross kid, and I'm a little bit OCD, as people know. And so um, I, and this was in the era of like Nokia Snake. Yeah. And um, and also your phone would be in like one of those like fake leather plastic sleeve yeah. things, so no one could touch it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then mm-hmm. a hardcore Snake player would take his phone out of his case for Snake playing because you wanted your fingers to be directly on the buttons. They have to hit the buttons, totally. Yeah, so I was sitting next to uh, uh, B, I won't say his full name, and um, I got up to go to the bathroom, and I came back, and he had been, like, eating a soufganiya, and then he had taken my phone, which I left accidentally at the table, out of its case, and was playing uh, Snake on my phone, and he gave it back to me, and it was, like, so greasy and disgusting. So I literally picked it up by the antenna, put it in a plastic bag, went home to my dorm, and then... uh, (laughs) This is this is a very Chester story. I took it apart piece by piece, washed each piece with soap and water, oh God. and then put it back. How together. are we friends? And then put it back together, and shockingly, my phone. I would have lit. I would have just like licked the jelly off. You're, I, you're very different. It was people. so. It was the most. Disgu- <laughs> this phone at that moment, it was the most disgusting thing I'd ever so seen. So what's greasier, Sufganiyot or Lakas? Oh, that's a good question. I would say Lakas probably the, because I I'm I we don't have a dishwasher. I wash dishes. Uh, since I don't know to cook, and to get the latka grease off when my wife, my wife makes them is the single hardest dish to do the whole year. It's like baked into everything. It's crazy, and yeah. the smell lingers for a long time. Oh, forever, for and it's so heavy. Oh, so delicious. And yeah, I, now, but now, it, but my question always is because again, from September to December. Every single bakery, which is about two per block in the whole country, you can get a sufganiya. There's not one bakery that had that has had the idea because donuts are not a big thing in this country the other eight months of the year to just sell donuts and jelly donuts the other eight months. I'm not sure if they're like legally not allowed to because it seems like such a good business idea. I don't know if everyone here is too stubborn to do something like so, that. So, Akiva, to reference Seinfeld again, if you remember the episode where Kramer decides to cush to to cook all the kosher delicacies for the Jew, for the mm-hmm. Jewish singles event uh, in Queens. That um, yeah. if you remember, he he makes like Jewish roots from every holiday around the year, and there's like no right. sort of theme whatsoever. He has like hamantashen and matzah balls, right. and there's like no logical sequence to that. So you can get away with that if you're Kramer and you're making it, you know. But I don't know if, if you're in a if you're here in a Jewish country like. Well, my point is that these there are bakeries that don't serve donuts. That makes no sense. I also have hamantashen at nine. To me, that goes with latkes, which we've talked. about. Hamantashen, by the way, they're not good. I mean, they're better than like black and white cookies. But the cookie itself of hamantaschen is a pretty plain cookie. I would never buy it. The, the stores also sell hamantaschen, and I would never consider buying a hamantaschen. Even if they were free, I don't think I would take one. I mean, they're gross. They're gross. Yeah, anytime I, anytime I pass a sufganiya uh, in, a, in a store, I will buy one. And my, my daughters and my wife have a tradition where, because my daughter's birthday is on Hanukkah, where they go to the shuk, they go to the market, in, the old market in, in Jerusalem, and they buy one sufganiya from every store, and that's my daughter's like birthday cake. They like but isn't it's that like literally 20 like donuts 30? high. Yeah, that's ridiculous. They pile it high, and and like we all we all just go to town on donuts once a year. Do you guys at least rank it's a, them? It's a donut cake. What do you think? We do. We pick the best donut. Of course, we rank them, or I make them, and they're like, Dad. We're like, No, we need a score. I need a score, and it has to be a decimal. It can't just be a seven. It needs to be like a seven point six. All right, Akiva, what's uh, the rest of your top five? Yeah, all right. So, uh, locks, I, I don't even want to discuss because, you know, it goes with bagels, uh, which I'll, I guess is fine. So bagels, I have a three. Locks, I have a yeah, seven. Yeah, bagels, cream cheese, and locks, by the way. Stephanie, explain the thinking how they all got their own entries. Well, so the bagel entry actually basically says that bagels are terrible. Yeah. And the photo you'll notice is a lender's bagel. <laughs> so, I mean, like the Bialy entry, which Mimi Sheridan wrote, is actually like this beautiful entry about Bialy's, which came from Bialy stock, and that only Jews made them there, and that that actually has more authenticity. And bagels just have become this, like, Americanized thing that 
everyone sells. Um, yeah, but there's, there's like an Einstein bagels in Oklahoma City. Yeah, and they're like, we ship the place in Florida. They're like, we ship the water in from New York. And yeah, by like, the way, what? I agree with you. That is such bullshit. This idea, oh, there's only good bagels in New York because the water, like every bagel tastes the same. No, uh, no, it's it is not true. Go a to good bagel go to is incredible. Right now, you will not have a decent bagel. There are bad bagels in New York, but there yeah. are no good bagels in in like uh, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. The 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 bagels uh, on on the picture, which you get, which is also by Liel, the bagel entry. Which I guess Chester is saying he, he, he's trolling because he says the bagel is the least Jewish food in the world. It, it's the least appetizing looking bagel I've ever seen. It's like misshapen. The bottom is so much fatter than the top. Like she said, they're lentils. They're, but they're that's, lentil ba- a lot of people. Bagels. They look gross. A yeah, lot a of bottom heavy bagels not good. But the funny thing is, like <laughs> non Jews think of bagels as Jewish food, but the yeah, bagels way that are more most than likely, Jews do, right? Yeah, like the most likely bagel they're thinking of is actually not like no a Jew New York bagel, it. and it's just like this perversion <laughs> right. of this <laughs> sacred thing. So then cream cheese. <laughs> It's like a schmear. Schmear gets his own entry, and then lox is its lox is like its own food category. Okay, but do you eat lox? I also think it would blow the mind. We're talking about Israeli food versus American food, and again, those are the two countries that have over ninety percent of the world's Jews. Um, I think it would blow the mind of just like a person who knew nothing about the culture in Israel that bagels are not a part of Israel, yeah, which all. again has ba- five bakeries in every corner, but doesn't really serve bagels. Uh, bagels are not part of the country, and if you get a bagel. It's, you know, it's an Oshkosh, Wisconsin bagel. It's not a good one. It is interesting because all the other Ashkenazi foods, you know, even though, you know, Israeli Jews are at least half, you know, not from, from Europe. Not Ashkenazi. Ashkenazi. background. There's still, all the other Ashkenazi foods are very popular in Israel. I mean, you know, the schnitzel, obviously. Yes. And, mm-hmm. But yeah, but the bagel, completely absent, which I think goes to the point that it's really an American food, not a Jewish food. Yeah, I mean, we did a bagel episode yes. on Unorthodox last year, right before Passover, which was funny. Um, and we talked to Dana Kessler, who's a food writer in, in Israel, and she was just like, yeah, there's like bagela. There's like all these other things that aren't actual bagels that are yeah, well, they're popular. Is the word for pretzels. Yeah, which is, yeah, really funny. <laughs> all right, he, uh, what's in the top two? No, so so my Mount Rushmore for most Jewish foods bagels. We already said. But after what we just said, you still put bagels on the list? Okay. Yeah, because I I think that they're identified as 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 a Jewish food. Well, a good a good bagel is transcendent. Yeah. I agree. A good, right. A Sunday morning, a, a toasted bagel from an actually good bagel store yeah. with like something, you know, lox or tuna or whatever your, you know, your go-to, uh, you know, cream cheese, whatever your go-to thing is, is I agree. You can't beat it. And also it's like one of the re- bagels are like one of the only like things in the world where you think they should be more expensive than they are. Not so much in Manhattan, but like still like you look at a bagel and like I couldn't do that at home, but it's still only like 95 cents still or a dollar. Uh, bagels are weirdly cheap. Like you'd have a whole meal for three bucks, like a bagel and butter. That's that you know where else you're getting, especially in kosher restaurants, which are which are much more expensive. So bagels, gefilte fish to me beats out the chones and beats out the kogels of the world because of its ubiquity, um, not just in the Orthodox world, but it's like a food that non-Orthodox people are also familiar with. So it really transcends like all uh, stripes of Judaism. The the I don't know how popular how like known gefilte fish is outside of Jewish people, and I do think it's a food on the decline. Sorry to uh, uh, Marcus Samuelson, who I think wrote about the gefilte fish. No, Eric Repair. Eric Repair, sorry. But uh, I, to me, it's, it's the, it's, it just gets a slight nod over the hamantash, over the, the latka, or uh, any of the holiday-specific foods. And then to, but to me, the big two, which I think are inarguable, the single most Jewish foods, which, are, again, are for every type of Jew and, and, and are now, you know, one of them is certainly, you know, you could buy in Penn Station, and the other one... I think has become much more famous, or challah and matzah. I think challah and matzah have to be one and two. 
you know, it's it, it. They're just like essential parts. W- matzah is the center of of one of our major holidays. And Halloween, you know, some people eat, uh, you know, twice a, you know, three meals at at fifty two weeks a year. It's it it you know it, you can't. I don't know what could beat challah or matzah. Chester did not have challah or matzah one and two, but again, Chester ranked it up by how much he likes them and not. Oh, look, I did uh, have challah, not how important. I did have challah number nine. Jews love challah, but you know who loves challah even more? Gentiles. Who? Um, yeah. yeah, they again in Penn Station they serve challahs now. Yeah. So when when I lived when my wife went to Einstein for medical school, which is a medical school in the Bronx. It's a Jewish school. And uh, somebody, I don't know who it was, would bring in baked challahs and sell them for $5 to the school every Friday because a lot of these, in the medical students, especially the Jewish ones, if they want to have challah for Shabbat dinner, they don't have time to go grocery shopping. They're in the hospital all day. So, you know, you can't bring them out to Muhammad Center or whatever that expression is. You could, if you were a Jew and you wanted uh, challah on, on Friday, impossible to get. Because the non-Jewish students, you'd have like, especially Asian American students, were obsessed with challahs. They would show up at like seven in the morning, buy out all the challahs, and then there were no challahs left for the Jews. Everybody who's introduced to challah loves challah. Challah is great. I agree. Well, it's just like the best bread. Yeah. But I think, I mean, I think. Challah is basically cake, really. Akiva, I think you're totally right about matzah, and that is the one entry we actually put like a number one on the photo of it because it's the one food that all Jews, despite where you're from, despite how you were raised, once a year you eat matzah. And if it's at a Seder that you're dragged to, or it's at, you you keep it, like, it's just this weird, terrible food. Like, it's just (laughs) gross (laughs) food that everyone eats every year. We all just like accept that. So Stephanie, are you familiar with the Yemenite matzahs? No. So the Yemenite matzahs are more, pr- frankly, they're probably more accurate to what matzah actually was originally, because you know everything Ashkenazim do is like a bastardized European Europeanized version. Uh, Yemenite matzahs essentially look like pitas, and they're kind of softish. They, they're not squares, you know, like with the perforated holes in them. And but you know Ashkenazi Jews, of course, won't eat them because we think that they're you know t- they're they're not Pesach enough, Passovery enough for us. But yeah, Yemenite matzahs are a totally different thing. Yeah, but when you think of matzah, especially in America, you think of the Ashkenazi, the square matzah with the, with the perforated holes. I don't hate matzah. I know most people do. They think it's like cardboard. I like it. What I hate is the, and this is very Ashken, what's the word again? Ashkenormative. Spelling matzah with the O. <laughs> that's, our, that's our house spelling for uh, okay. matzah. Matzo. Yeah. It's very confusing. Yeah. yeah. If I was typing it, I'd write A-H. I don't, what, what, I'm an A-H guy, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sensitive A-H to guy. the pronunciation of our, uh, of our uh, more uh, ethnically diverse. But I, I'm sure it's not the first time that words come up on tablet.com. Uh, <laughs> well, it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's something we, we battle over. But I think the funny thing about matzo is, like, now there are all these, like, trendy, healthy crackers that are basically mm-hmm. are matzo. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, no, this is what we eat to suffer one week. And you just, like, you make the matzo pizza. You do everything. What's funny is those crackers, which taste basically the same, it's like $5 for like three of them. Whereas matzah, they literally give you five pounds for free at the grocery but store. But I've actually heard something recently that like matzah, there's like price gouging with matzah. Yes. Well, it's definitely with the shmu- with the fancier, like the shmura matzahs. For yeah, sure. but, the, but the generic matzah, you know, the squares, they literally hand those out of the grocery store. So good news for the they one hand them out. What kind of grocery thing? store do you go to if they hand them out? That's no, maybe it, after yeah. Pesach. No, 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 no. If you spend like a hundred bucks at the grocery store, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They throw it in. Yeah, I know you're throwing it. In. Yeah, <laughs> and also the day after Passover, uh, you know, it, it, you you can get that's on like sale. Order. Yeah. Oh, it's like fifty cents a box. You could get yeah. Oh, Mots of the day after Passover would be like you know like uh, <laughs> it's like a refractory period. It's it's totally undesirable. Yeah, yeah. And the good news is that it stays it stays it stays well for the next year. <laughs> yeah. So I did. So my dad, who's a matza hater. Well, takes all the matzah that's not finished and just put it back in like the password box for the next year. And I. Oh my God. No, it's so much worse because it's stale and it's soft. And I was like, oh, it's always like that. No, but like a new matzah, at least. No, you didn't have to tell us it's so much worse 11 months later. We did the math. Yeah, well, no, but my dad is. That's insane. <laughs> your dad your dad saves matzah for 11 months? Is it like a box that's open? 
Or no, is it just even if it's unopened, even if it's sealed, it's still it's not. A, it's I don't think fresh. they make new matzah every oh, year. Okay. I don't think streets. So you think all our matzahs from I think there's like one batch of matzah that we've still we're still eating. <laughs> so it's like the one the for like, like Streits has been on vacation <laughs> for twenty years. They're gonna run out soon, and like the factory, they're worried it doesn't even work anymore. Just to give people an idea, my, my grandfather is not Orthodox. Uh, I, I does you know doesn't keep kosher, uh, eats pig, and the only. Jewish thing he eats all year is instead of bread he will have matzah on Passover. So to me, it's matzah is almost like on on the you know positive upswing compared to some of the foods we've discussed, which are may, maybe on decline. All right, Akita, can I give you my ten my my best foods on this list? Yeah, give us your best foods. Okay, you can tell me which ones you made. Blintzes, I have at number ten. Yeah, um, yeah, Blintz. I, I do, do you think Blintzes are on the upper on the downslide, Stephanie? I think they're part of like the chic pastry trend, and I think they're back. Mm. I also like this the savory. Back. You heard it here first. Yeah. You don't know I only have It's versatile. Yeah. yeah. All right. Number nine, I have challah. We love challah, we said. Number eight, I have the carciofiala guida, which, again, it's 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 fried Roman artichokes. They're really good. Number seven, I have brisket. Surprise, keep it in a brisket higher. Brisket's like as Jewishy a food as you get, I think. It is. It, it, is, it is. I had brisket pretty high. I think I, ha- I had it... Um... I forget where, but it's you're right. It should be higher. Brisket. Uh, listen, my wife just came home from Passover shopping, and the amount of brisket she bought. You know, I hopefully I'm going to get paid for this podcast. But yeah, uh, brisket is 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 definitely a thing. Number six, I have babka, which we discussed. Number five, I have Persian rice. So I was very excited, Stephanie. The U.S. had Persian rice on the list. There's a restaurant in Midtown, a Persian uh, kosher restaurant, which like the rice. They have like this orange rind rice. It's one. They they have like six different rices, but it's one of my favorite foods. I love that rice. Um, they also, Persians have that, like, that very crispy sort of yeah, rice. Yeah, the tadig, yeah. What's it called again? Tadig, it's like the bottom yeah. of the pan. You're supposed to burn the bottom yeah. of the rice, and it's like, you give it to the special guests. You give you give them that. It's yeah. amazing. I'm a big fan oh, of wow. Persian rice. Kiva, what's your take on Persian rice? I like it. Um, it. That's kind of a heavy, where do you get it from? Colbert? Like, that's kind of a, like, like a heavy. Yeah, Colbert's the restaurant in Midtown that I was There's about. one in Great Neck. I yeah. grew up in Great Neck, so I, I was, yes. like, re- weaned on Persian yeah. rice. And there's also like a fancy one in Roslyn, right? Like right outside of Great yeah. Neck, like it's in a house. I went Isn't there a Persian uh, restaurant called Chattanooga? Somewhere in, it's either in Long Island or Great Neck in somewhere there, which I think is so weird that it's named after a city in Tennessee. I think that's in Great Neck, but maybe a closed. There's uh, also like but, uh, Chosen I, I Village, the, the Chinese food restaurant yeah. in Great Neck. Yeah, the, the, yeah kosher, kosher restaurants really could work on their naming for sure. Puns, for, especially for like Asian kosher, like Chinese and Japanese kosher restaurants. Yeah. yeah. Lot, yeah, uh, probably Mitsu, not so cool. Mitsuyan, and yeah, there's a lot of those. Um, all right, number Wak Tov was the one near me. Number four, I have uh, Halava. Great Halava is just great. Uh, there's a place you talked, you mentioned the Shuk, the market in Jerusalem before. There's a place there that makes Halava. It's like to die for. Tahina as a dessert is very, like, it's, it's sort of not intuitive because it's not necessarily sweet, but it's always a winner. It has a little bit of a bite to it. I love Tahina desserts. I don't know what your take is on Halava and other Tahina desserts, Stephanie. I like Halava. I don't want to love it. But I love, I like it. Yeah, Akiva, what about you? I uh, never tried it. <laughs> That's nuts. <laughs> my kids like it. I, it's not for me. Yeah, it's know. not a thing kids will like usually. Actually, yeah, but because you know, it's not just pure sweetness. It's not straight sugar. But I really like it. Number three, I have the sabich. I was very happy to see that. I think that was a liel entry. Also, yeah. the sabich to me is better than a falafel. It's it's basically the similar concept, but instead of of you know uh, chickpea balls. You take like fried eggplant and then you also slice like a hard boiled egg. Um, one of my annoying Chesterisms that I do is if you go to like Ma'o's or some of these Americanized Israeli restaurants in Manhattan, they have falafel, they call falafel on the menu, but sabich, they don't call sabich, they call it like eggplant and egg sandwich. Because I'm obnoxious, I'll go to the waiter or the person behind the counter who's not remotely Jewish or Middle Eastern in any way and I'll say like, can I have a sabich? And then she'll look at me stupidly. She's like, what? And then my wife will like 
pinch me and say he wants an eggplant and egg sandwich. But Akiva, you've never had a sabicha, I imagine, also. No, I, I, no, I have. I, it's not my favorite, but it's fine that you have it at number two. No, I like it a lot. I mean, I, th- I get that from um, Taim. That's what I get. Yeah. It's like, yeah. All right, number two on my list. Uh, my main food groups are uh, hummus or hummus and milk and cereal. So hummus, to me, number two on the list. There was that dumb Adam Sandler movie, Don't Mess With the Zohan. It's only saving grace was its pro hummus stance. Um, Didn't he use it to, like, style people's hair? Yeah, he used it as an aphrodisiac. He used it for <laughs> hair. So he used it for a little bit of everything. I think he used it as, like, a lubricant also. So it, I don't use it for that many, uh, you know, purposes. But, I mean, I really love it. But, again, it's a food that has become so Americanized. And, like, the American version of Sabra that you buy in the tub at the grocery store yeah. is so much shittier than, like, actually fresh-made hummus that you get, like, at a restaurant. Yeah. Did, did I don't did you engage? I'm sure you had some trolls and some of the least interesting people on the internet bothering you guys about including hummus. But did you did you engage or did you see this at all or no? I mean, look. Anytime you write about hummus, everyone's gonna get mad because of who, where did it come from, whose is it? But our specific mm-hmm. our stance here sort of I think subverted that because it basically said for Americans, hummus is like what you find in your grocery store right next to pesto. Like it's just this Americanized, right. bastardized version of whatever it used to be. And the thing about the NFL, yeah. like, it's the official dip of the NFL, like, not salsa or guacamole. It's freaking hummus. I would like to know, what are the hummus sales in red states? I think it's coming, though. Like, I think I, it's just, it's it's really, it's blown up so quickly, it's funny. Like, it was nowhere outside of, like, Middle Eastern culture 10 years ago. And now it's absolutely exploded and there's commercials on television and stuff. To me, um, it's, uh, you, you know, it's uh, it's absolutely exploding. So if it's not... In Middle Eastern states uh, now, like there will be hummus specific restaurants there in 10 years. Akiva, my parents, who, as you know, spent half their life in Jerusalem, have never eaten hummus before, which what? is one of the most insane, like, facts. What is that? They They've never, never tried, tried it? it? They might have tried it. They just don't eat it. And, like, when I come to visit them in Jerusalem, like, one of the first things I do is I go to the grocery store and I buy, or I go to the, the market action, I buy some. And then my dad's like, why did you buy this? Nobody's going to eat it. I'm like, what, like, what planet are you, what country are you living in? Yeah, that's weird. And we right, we don't eat like I I don't like I'm anti dips. This is just so specific, but I'm anti dips after the challah before the soup or like whatever your um, appetizer is at at, the, at a Shabbat meal because I feel like everyone just fills up on 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 challah with dips like uh, um, uh, like mapucha, which is like a tomato type of paste or or with hummus. And to me, it's like a waste because my wife spent like all day making like a ton of food and then nobody eats it because everyone's just like filling up by stuffing their face with bread. So we stopped having it. But even so, like even though no one eats it, we will always have it in our house. Like if someone, if it runs out, we'll always buy new one, even though people don't touch it because it's almost like a law. Yeah, yeah. Well, the fight I have with my wife is my wife has become one of these American. My wife gets like the flavored hummuses. Like she'll get like cilantro hummus or chocolate hummus or beef. I'm all about the flavored hummuses. No, that's not, I'm all about that's not hummus though. That's like some other like bullshit like generic yeah no now i mean now they're making it out of totally different substances and i'm there for it like i i to me like the 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 stupider it is probably the better it tastes yeah that okay. is, I don't care that is ridiculous like that. Yeah. okay so you and jen are on the wrong <laughs> side there all right number one for me of these hundred foods massive upset i can't imagine anyone else would have it number one to me i have concord grape juice number one the spark not the not the non-sparkling the still is okay but sparkling canon concord grape juice is my favorite yeah. substance on earth it is so good uh, it's, you know, when I was a kid growing up, it was like the greatest delicacy. And now because I'm a much better parent than my parents are, my kids get it every single week, every Friday night they get some. It's also, by the way, I wish I had like been more, again, because I grew up and it was such a delicacy, even when I got to college, I could have bought it myself. I never did. I wish I would have yeah. had it in college way more. Cause it's like, it's a much better mix for like, like, why do we drink vodka with like orange juice? Or like cranberry juice, which we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Concord sparkling grape juice. It's so good. No, so now I do make cocktails from it occasionally. It's phenomenal. Go buy it at your local grocery store. Do you ever drink it not on Shabbos, Chester? 
I feel like it's it's like very decadent. Yeah. Like, oh, it is yeah. exactly. Oh, I agree. We so we open a bottle uh, on Friday night. It never lasts to Saturday morning. It's gone. So then we open a second bottle right. on Saturday, and that never lasts either. And now we go like if you go to Costco, you can buy like twelve at a time because it's Costco, and they still disappear in like yeah. three days. And I'm like, what happened? And then my wife, I don't know, I can't blame her because like. I'm not gonna lie. There's been nights when I come home from work, you know, really late, or maybe I went to a just party. Just crack and, open a, yeah. a kettle. I'm a little tipsy. I'm gonna crack one of those open as like a. a I just feel like you can't actually drink that much of it. It's so sweet. I mean, it's amazing, but like it is. you can do one it cup is. tops. Well, but that's why you can use it as a mixer also yeah. for cocktails. Yeah. I, can I say though, when I when I came and like I, because I love food so much, one of my main conversations if I'm if I was meeting a local. Or, or, you know, or someone who maybe like 10 years earlier had moved from America is like, which foods do you miss? And they would always have lame answers like no foods or whatever. To me, the after six months, like the thing we missed the most was having the Kedem grape juice every week. Uh, and you could get it, but it was insanely expensive. But then they really like started importing it to basically like Costco style. And, and now you could now it's totally reasonable. And yeah, I was going to say Israeli grape juice is not very good. It's not good, which is why it's successful. Why they're successful in importing a food that they have tons of here, but um, Israelis detest it. They, when we serve it to them, they like spit it out. It is so sugar. They think it's like the embodiment of America. That like this, like you're taking a food that in their mind is great, their trash grape juice, and you're just dumping in piles of sugar. And to me, that's why I like that it's number one. It's definitely not the most Jewish food, but I agree. It's it's my friend Michael Gutman when we were in, when we were in school together. He would like. He would he would like buy one during the week and he'd drink it and he'd yell out the next the nectar of the gods oh. get him grape juice. Yeah, no, I it think it's real. an inspired first pick. I really respect it as yes. a first pick. I do. I, I do also. It was also partially to troll my my sister and brother in law who are like Brooklyn hipsters and are not observant and are so anti it that they refuse to like let it touch their lips like when they come over to our house for Shabbat or like let them touch their son's lips, which is absurd. Why? Because too much sugar? It's so dumb. No, because they buy grape juice that they buy in their grocery store in Brooklyn that costs $8 for like six ounces and tastes exactly the same except has sediment in it. It's like they buy something that tastes basically the same. But you know, that's going to be like the bacon for their kid. He's going to like one day, oh, one day I'm going to try yeah. that Kedem. Yeah, he's going to come to his cousin's house <laughs> and we're going to, exactly. <laughs> you're going to get in trouble. You're not, not going to be on speaking terms because you're going to like serve it to them when they... When he that's yeah, amazing. Well, my sister's list of what her son is not allowed to eat is so long. <laughs> you guys, this was exhaustive and exhausting, this process. <laughs> yes. If, if we were going to test... <laughs> Stephanie, if we were to tell um, our not Jewish, maybe not familiar with so many of these foods listeners to try one of these hundred, which one other than Kedem grape juice, which I think everyone would like, what what would you sell them on? Like, which of these hundred foods do do you think that they should they should go out of their way and look for? Like a food that we want them to like and associate like well with. Yeah, we're not trying to pre-dance these guys. Um, yeah. That's a really good and question. Not not, not not a Jewy food. So not like yeah. gefilte fish. They're not going to like I mean, it. I would say like have a babka. Like I would go, I would start easy and just say something that's pretty, pretty easy to find. <laughs> but not, not one of like those babkas in the grocery store that's been sitting there for a week. Go to a bakery and get a fresh Yeah. Bread. Yeah, a real, a real like, bakery. I would tell not like in, the Lower East Side. Cause but I would tell someone in New York to go to Bread's Bakery in Union Square and get a chocolate babka or a cinnamon babka. And that is just so good. I mean, like Rugula is on this list. I'm surprised you guys didn't. That's true. Yeah. And that's another very ubiquitous, uh, especially in Israel, like you go to the Shuk. All right, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining. Oh, wait, and so have you told us, what's your favorite of these 100 foods, personally? Look, I like a classic, chicken soup. Okay. Chicken soup and matzo balls were two separate entries because they sort of hold their own balances, but I like yes. a good chicken soup with matzo balls is like my jam. Anytime, like to me, I associate yeah. that as like true comfort food. 
um, and I would like that. All I the asked time. my wife last night for, without looking at the list for her favorite kosher food, and she went with chicken soup. Yeah, chicken soup to me, you're right. Uh, even a B plus chicken soup is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Uh, and I agree. And like my, you know, if you make like if we're only like four people and and there's leftovers, like there's nothing better like like reheating that on Sunday, having some more chicken soup. Like, uh, by the that, way, that le- leftovers was one of the entries on this list, and I was I loved it. I'm a very big fan of leftovers. Like he was anti leftovers usually. No, I love that it was an entry it was though a because very it is choice. very. I, yeah, I, it, it, it was an inspired choice. I also think be, uh, certainly from our um, uh, sort of you know narrow Orthodox perspective, you make this obscene amount of food Friday night and Saturday. Where my wife says every single week, and she said it you know thousands of times over the last however many years, like we would never eat this amount of food. Like I would never make this amount of food on a Wednesday night. <laughs> so a lot of it doesn't get eaten, especially if you have a lot of company, you know, you're, you're sort of like aiming high and like worse comes to worse. We have extra. And I know Alex is too much of a, uh, of a, you know, a fancy pants to, to ever have leftovers. And he just throws all his food Wait, out. What you, no, I'm the one. No, I'm the one who never throws food out. You make fun of me for that. Remember like that time in Orlando? I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Oh, okay. no, yeah. He doesn't allow leftovers even for a meal. He'll just keep eating. There's only been two times in my entire life when I have not finished every single piece of food on my plate at a restaurant. That's the, like the most insane brag anyone's ever made in the history of the world. No, because I remember... That there's only been two times you haven't finished your food ever? <laughs> but yeah, the thing one is... Happened, one of them happened last week. That's so. the craziest thing anyone's ever said. No, but Stephanie, I, back me up here. But no, no, that to be bananas. honest, I think the thing... The, the leftovers entry was brilliant because, yes, obviously Jews always have leftovers, but there is a history of hunger and, and wanting and this idea of, yes. like, you don't know when you're going to eat next, and I think that contributes yes. to why... Like, for me, I actually cannot... Fin- I cannot leave a plate with food on it, and I'm pretty sure it's like because wow. of the Holocaust. Yeah, like see, it's it's like yeah. there's food weirdness in our head about waste and about about yeah. hunger. And, and well, things that probably like that. comes from our like parents and grandparents, yeah. right? Who like it was it was unthinkable for them to waste. I mean, my parents yeah. never broke the Holocaust. They just talked about starving kids in Africa, which again made no sense. Yeah, but their parents, I, my, their parents, I wasn't going to transport this and like half-eaten food. Like, <laughs> I I once went to a kid's house, and it was so ingrained. Her, uh, my my friend's like nanny babysitter wouldn't let me watch Jurassic Park until I finished my plate. But I had never eaten whatever they were serving. It was like a weird food that I didn't think was good. And I was like sitting there staring at it for a half hour. And they were already like up to like the T-Rexes. And I'm still sitting in the kitchen, not able to leave because the nanny would not let me leave the kitchen until I finished. And I guess it's like it comes back to like no waste in food. Yeah. All right. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm uh, I'm very hungry now. Yeah. It's uh. We started this. We started recording this at noon. So I, I had not eaten lunch yet. I don't know about you. And now it's almost <laughs> two p.m. So yeah, we might have missed lunch. We gotta go eat. Stephanie's on Twitter at uh, stuffism. Is that right? Yeah, stuffism. And what else can we plug? Obviously, um, uh, unorthodox every, every Thursday. Podcast. You can just find it. Search unorthodox wherever you do your podcasts. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at sbutnik. That's where I do my most my most interesting work. I think. And just tabletmag.com. Check it out. Yeah, and also uh, we played our obligatory uh, Jewish geography before we started. I went to law school with Stephanie's sister, I discovered. Yeah, we have a lot of mutual friends on Facebook. I checked yeah, it out. Okay. All right, Keith, uh, I will talk to you next week. Uh, we got to come up with something else to rank. All right, thank you so much, Stephanie. Uh, this was really fun. Thank you for having me. אני זוכר אותה, אני זוכר אותה מהמקורת, אני זוכר אותה, אני זוכר אותה קונה שם סולת, אני זוכר אותה קונה שם לחם קיבל, אני זוכר אותה מזמן מקיבל, קיבל, קיבל.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.